This is Corn Stars, part of the Herpetoculture Network, with your hosts Justin Smith of Palmetto Coast Exotics and Chris Painshap of Badlands Herpetoculture. Enjoy. Here we go. Episode 10, Corn Stars. How's everybody doing? Doing well, Justin. How are you tonight? I'm I'm good. I'm going to pretend like we haven't been talking for the last 10 minutes. Yeah. Doc, I'm fantastic. Dr. Loffman. What's how are you doing tonight? What are you talking? I'm doing great. Happy craw, to be here. The Craw Daddy. The Craw yes. Daddy. Uh, so, real quick, this episode is brought to you by BlackBossCages.com. Um at least two of the three people here can attest that their stuff is awesome. Oh, Chris, I can Chris too. Needs, Chris needs, well, Chris needs to get on the bandwagon. Chris is the only one that uh, doesn't. We're working hell, on it, Chris. I, I need the new room built first. I need to stop spending okay. money. All I right. just, I finished my Aki setup with the XT4. They seem to be liking it. They also seem very confused. <laughs> there's all of a sudden a lot more room. Um, came out really good, easy to build, all that good stuff. Uh, definitely check them out, Facebook and Instagram. And then the, you have to shout out the fine folks at Silent Hill Reptiles who are also doing really good stuff. You need to go hunt them down as well, Facebook and Instagram, silenthillreptiles.com. Uh, and stay in the loop with what they're doing. Um, JT produces some of the nicest stuff around. I'm not biased when I say that. It's purely objective. Yeah, he's got some cool plans going this year, and I think he's already moving into brumation. He, is, uh, he does. Yeah. He, he brewmates a little early. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so, yeah. But this episode, I'm joined by one of my favorite people in herpeticulture. Thank you, Justin. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> my two favorite people in herpeticulture. Thanks, Justin. Uh, Dr. Loafman and KP. So, I'm excited here. Me, me and Dr. Loafman have, uh, you know, been at times been at odd ends of the spectrum when, when, when we were out doing research on on uh emory eye which is something we're going to cover tonight i you know mm-hmm. my camp my my obvious genetic background had one view and and, and dr loffins had a different one but we have uh in, in many times talked on the phone uh, and chatted and become good friends and i think this is our first time on mic together right i think it is yeah awesome should be no it's gonna so be I good think, I, this is yeah they're like we're gonna do a podcast and we're like I feel like every time you come on a show, you end up talking about crypto and stuff. So I was like, "What's yeah?" I, I, let's let's keep it lighthearted I'm and happy. Sure, you're probably you. That's a that's a horse that has been dead for a long time, yeah. and you just continue it's dead, to have yet to beat it's it. probably going to pop up again tonight because it it, it is. You, I saw the outline and it said your history with corn snakes, and unfortunately, crypto and corn snakes. <laughs> we can do the, the Cliff Notes version of that. <laughs> yes, yeah. I'm mostly just yes. curious because you guys have a big group at the university. I figured we, we could talk about sort of the. Yes, we what do. the what the plan was like, what you were doing with that, and and, mm-hmm. and whatnot. So, yeah, no. T- uh, tonight's definitely going to be a lighthearted talk. Talk about mm-hmm. uh, taxonomic. Well, I mean, Chris is here. It's always lighthearted. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yep. I you know I tell everybody I got a bad back, right? And it, 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 it's because I have big shoulders. But so I'm carrying have the weight of this whole this show. <laughs> I, I have big shoulders because I got to carry the weight so of this you network. know this network, and it's mm-hmm. a lot. But you know we're getting yeah, it there. is a lot. No, we're good. No, I'm I'm happy to be here. Happy to talk corn snakes. Corn snakes are actually near and dear to my heart. Um, because the first thing I bred 
was a corn snake all the way back. Nice. 20 years ago this past March would have been when that went down. So wonderful. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, Tied to them since. They're so, anyways, we could pontificate for hours on how wonderful they are. But so I guess all of our seasons are over. Zach, you yeah. still hatching anything out? Uh, no, I went to the I don't incubator. Falsies never quit. Falsies <laughs> have stopped. Um, I I counted the total number that I made, and then I I felt a little little wrong, a little dirty at that number because <laughs> I was like, like, "That's not giving, possible." Giving Mogwai away to everybody yeah. is that? What yeah, <laughs> I mean, there's no way we made that many. And then the students who have to take care of them the first like month of their lives are like, "Yes." We made that many. They're just they're crying all, and their fingers are bleeding. Yeah, they're just they're like, all, yeah, they're angry. all angry. I was like, okay, okay. So we did. So next year we're going to pull back a little bit on that. Um, but uh, I just checked that's the incubator. they'll let you. You may yes, not have a choice. True. There's, there's probably a, a bit of sperm retention going on there. You're absolutely correct. Uh, Story about that, Zach. <laughs> we, we were just at the incubators yesterday. That damn sperm retention. Um and unfortunately, we had a clutch of Baron Dracers. They were, we never can catch our female Baron eye when, when they're gravid. They don't show it well, at least at West Lib. And they always lay their eggs at the beginning of a trip when I'm going to be gone for like seven or 10 days because I check religiously those guys. And sure enough, I was like six days into a field trip. I think it was in August. And I Ooh. got the, the message Oh, the Baron eye laid eggs. I was like, Can I see pictures of them? And basically, the student response was, No. I was like, okay, <laughs> they're dried up in a cork tube. That's what that means. So, uh, but we officially threw them out yesterday. That kind of hurt. They, the, the clutch crashed, and then I inherited um, Jen Archer's massive Florida king snake and going eye collection, which I know you're so no. jealous of, Smitty. Um, there's over a hundred of them that I acquired in like a day. That's my and, nightmare. Yeah. Oh, it. <laughs> I was sexing some today to make sure that our, our we were right, and they're just biting. They literally, they don't just musk, they can projectile musk. Like, yeah. That is a skill. It's not like it ooze. Like, it's like when you pop a zit and it hits the mirror. They do slow that. Yeah, uh-huh. And it smells, and I don't know why, I just find it in here. It doesn't bother me at all. But, um, but yeah, no, I was I was you know, sexing some of those, but the, the students were in with those and Jen said that there were some animals that made double clutch and same deal. I, I pulled a bunch that looked like they were gravid and we got clutches from them. Um, but we had the females drop a couple surprise clutches. They looked like they all slugged out though. And they were in the incubator too. So I officially shut down the incubators yesterday. So uh, last three nice. snakes that I hatched out were the three carpet pythons um, that hatched, I think it was last week. So we're done. Okay. Nice. But no, I'm still, as far as the bear and I go, I'm kind of still trying to figure out how I how I feel about that and if I want to sort of pursue those. I know Jake is is super pumped to get his hands on some, so that may be a that may be his rhino. Yeah, but no, I don't know. Like I just so far, rhinos are still number one, man. You're doing this in a public place. <laughs> we're gonna do this on air right now yeah in front of the kids uh, with, with the bear and i are you keeping them in like a naturalistic setup kind of well i have i don't ever see it it's small still mine is literally creeping on me right now on the top of that yeah mine will mine will 
poke his head out of the cork tube and watch me. Mm-hmm. But as soon as I like come near it, he disappears. So. Yeah, no. The uh, I love them to death. I have two in my office at school. I have one in my office here, and then we have we have three. Our breeders are in a separate lab at school. And uh, oh, jeez. No, I, I, I mean, I've got a lot of them. <laughs> I'm not like completely writing them off. I feel like it's a little mm-hmm. premature, and just having one snake is not a not a very good pool to you know draw an opinion from. So I don't know. We'll see. But well, well, I've kept them. I've kept rhinos and bear and I because. Your rhinos were once my rhinos, and I can honestly say that the bear and I are kind of like cracked out rhinos when they're actually doing what yeah, bear and I, I can do. See that. And I, in case you haven't figured out, Methropeltis, as you say, is my North American colubrid genus. Hydrodynastes, my favorite snakes. Baron's racer, if it's got a little bit of like cracked mentality in it, and, and, and wants to eat your face, that's that's my snake a little bit so, of eight ball you know yeah but totally. then you have like so, the the calmest of the pitchiophis the jani yeah. they're just like mm-hmm. we're chill well we actually so this is fun i'm going to tinley for the first time this weekend oh nice. wonderful um and i'm i'm bringing a bunch of students with me so i already told them like we had a meeting about it and i was like listen when i walk through that door you don't talk to me for four hours for four <laughs> hours i just go <laughs> And then we'll come back and we'll, you know, do our thing. But because uh, I've, I've waited for this and, and tried to go multiple times. Uh, but anyway, um, I, I realized if we get a Nectins, uh, yeah. we have all the Pitchophis that live in North America at the school. That's the only have, species we need. Minus you have the, I was just about to say, minus that insular crazy thing, um, which I don't think I really want to, to dive into that. But we have Ruth and I and Loading Eye and... I just got the southern pines. They're growing up here. Okay. And then we got multiple localities of northerns. San Speaking Diego's. of southerns, I just All so I was I was in the I was trying to get another one from the same buddy that I got mine from that I thought was a female, and I probed it the other night, and uh, the probe just kept going and going and going, and I was like, yeah. "Son of a bitch!" Like, Male pigeon <laughs> opus will eat up a probe. Yes. Well, my my buddy he he hatched out. He had a clutch of five, and all of them are males. So he's got like nothing but boys. And I'm like, damn. Pitchophis like to make males. Uh, they don't survive. Not well. That's not that's such a shitty way to say that. Uh, <laughs> if, if a pitch they're doomed die, to die <laughs> in a in, in a, in a well kept pitchophis. If something's gonna die, it's gonna be a male, just sporadically. Uh, mm-hmm. Lineata collis are kind of uh, notorious for it. I've mm-hmm. heard that Jan I could do it. I have not had that. Uh, but so you have okay. You said North American or all of the United States? No, I said North American, not North so American. You, I meant the United States. Oh, okay, I was about to say. So yeah. you have Deppy Deppy? I was like, because that's no, 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 no. We don't have uh, Vertebralis and Deppy Deppy. I have obviously we got the Jani from you. So yeah, and that's gonna be part of the West Lib Colony. They're in my office at school. So. Jani are so. Anyways, yeah. we'll, we'll, one of these days I'll talk to somebody about Jani for four hours and it'll be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but today we're here talking about. Well, actually, let's 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 wrap up a couple things. Uh, yes, you know, maybe don't don't go into super deep detail on breeding plans for next year, but I'm guessing you guys are doing spreadsheets like I'm doing spreadsheets, uh, getting everything, planning pairs, getting ready to, couple extra meals to some of the females that are going to be going down for brumation soon. Uh, I'm guessing that's yeah. that's on y'all's itinerary. Yep, we're doing. Um, we're not doing anything like what we've done in the past. Uh, we we made over three hundred 
colubrids at the university nice. this past year. So uh, that was all for a kid's master's thesis in Taylor. Hopefully she'll be graduating. Uh, and, and pretty much my animal care coordinator and the other students that'll be around that were around this year were just like, can we please take a break? I was like, yes. We take a break. Um, <laughs> they poop so, so much. Yes. And they eat so much. Uh, so all that I'm really doing is working on my king with my king projects. And then I'm going to breed a couple, you know, I, I'm going to make false water cobras. That's what I do. Yeah. Uh, but then I segue over into the Hognosnake book, Full Steam, starting in February. And I have a grad student coming in. We're going to do a, um, I think we're going to do a thesis where we look at body condition index, create one of those for Western hogs. So that means we need a lot of hogs. So yeah. next, next spring's all about heterodon. And that's pretty much it. The year of heterodon. Awesome. Yes. What is the, so when you do spreadsheets, what is like, what are you, what are you putting on those? So usually what I'm looking at is I'll put any females that I want to breed uh, because like this year, I'm not breeding a few females. I'm not going to breed black pines. I'm not going to breed a couple of the corns that I bred the last three years. Just mm -hmm. give everything a year off. Um, but I'll always put down, sometimes I'll put weights down. You know what I mean? Especially if I had a female that lost a lot of weight. Uh, I, ha I had a corn snake female that lost a ton of weight this year after laying eggs. She, she was tiny. She was like, the minimum size I would ever breed a, a corn snake is she laid 16 eggs and they were massive eggs and uh, all of yeah. them hatched. They were all fertile. Um, so I'll, I'll kind of investigate stuff like that. But then I, I do a really good, and my wife always gives me a hard time because like I'll clean and I'll play with snakes. But when I'm, when I'm getting my, I know that I'm going in, into breeding plans. I'll like really play with the females. I'll feel them. I'll make sure everything, all the vertebrae feel good. I'll, you know, take them out in the sun, look at them. Do I have any stuck sheds or a scale that looks off? Or is there anything that I will find that could be a negative inhibitor as this animal uh, goes into the most stressful thing it's ever going to do in its life, which is, well, not necessarily brutation, yeah. but uh, ovulating, breeding, producing eggs, pooping out eggs, and then trying to recover from it in some extremely unnatural way. Uh, and, and so... I do that, but then I, I always make a list of the females, especially with corns. Like, I've got four Emory Eye projects next year, and then a lot of the Pitchiophis is just like, these are the pits that are breeding. Um, and then the things I'm going to try to breed that didn't breed. Uh, and then a, a lot of, I have a lot of uh, Leonis this year. And that was actually more mm. of a struggle because, like, what males am I putting to what females? Uh, because you can kind of do whatever you want. And, yeah. and, and, and they're so, you know, have like a pin band female. That has like a gray ground color, and then an MS uh, milk snake phase male, or do I want to pair her to a male that's more uh, typical to her? Uh, but yeah, I'll just, I'll just write down the pairings, and I'll stick to it. Uh, so that's my biggest thing is like if I write down a pairing, that is the pairing for next year. I won't try different males. Uh, if that pairing does not work, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna breed that animal. Uh, and I cool. I, I want it to be that way. I want it to be. That's my little calculation in it. I, I want. This is my plan. I'm going to stick to it. I'm not going to try anything else, especially because you could have a male that like you didn't see lock up and you left it overnight and then you get a different male in there with them and then you start pooping out some weird genetics and you're like, wait, ah, okay, hold on. Do I yeah. have a clutch of two different males? Because there's there's been stories of that and I believe there's been research done on that. Uh, and then also, wait, was that male actually het for this? Or, or especially with corn snakes, you know, that, that can become a mess. Uh, I like to think I have a good grasp on the genetics of my collection, but that's not, that's probably not true, right? <laughs> like the second <laughs> we think we know. stuff lurking in the yeah, background yeah. somewhere. And then first time breeders, I usually start 
let's say the uh, end of September, and this is just me, and this may be a terrible idea, end of September into October where I'm giving them their last couple meals, I'll usually feed them a little heavier, and I'll usually feed them fatty stuff. Uh, rat, rat pups is like my go-to. Uh, live rat pups. Uh, I got a buddy that breeds rats and, and produces just beautiful – he cares about his rats, uh, so he's feeding them well. And I'll put a little bowl of three or four rat pinks in there, and they'll just gobble them all up. And it's it seems to I don't know it, it seems to work, but I, I you know don't have enough tenure to say that I know that this is a good process. Uh, but yeah, so that's kind of my so there's a spreadsheet. I know what I'm breeding. There's a feeding plan, and I kind of just stick to it no matter what. Do something similar, but nothing like that. <laughs> I have this notebook and everything that happens. In my collection goes in the notebook. Uh, where the hell's my camera? So there you go, notebook, and it's a day planner. And then there'll nice. be there's a section in there for notes, and I'll just sit here old school and just write write it all out, and then I'll put it in a Google sheet. Yeah, and that's Mine's it. Much more <laughs> simple. I have my Notepad app. Oh yeah, <laughs> I put my pairings down, and then if I see locks or I notice like prelay sheds, I write down the date. Yeah, and that's that's it. Boom. Yeah, see, I, I do mine in Excel, and then I have, like, a, a, a row. Uh, so I have a column of each pairing, and then it'll be, like, uh, post-brumation shed, uh, visual locks, uh, prelay shed, um, egg number laid, how many good, how many bad, how, how many, what day they hatch, how many hatched. Uh, and then I'll do, like, post-ovulation shed, and if they double-clutch, which is usually something I'm trying to – I never want to double-clutch. There's, there's too many babies already. Like, no double-clutches. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, but if I do yeah. get a double clutch, I'll mark it in that same, follow the column down, have a new row for it. And then there's been occasions where I'll actually track who I sell animals to, especially anything with like projects I'm working on, like specific projects or like specific lineage stuff. Like some of the Alterna are, are like, you know, somebody might hit me up in four years and be like, Hey, I, I bought a three mile West dark Alterna F2 from so-and-so. Did you sell that to him? And I'm, it's kind of good to be able to be like, yeah, that's, that's true locality. It's and here's the grandparents and here's where the wild cots were found and by who oh, cool. and whatnot. Yeah. So sometimes, or I just keep them all, which is also fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, 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 it is interesting when they, cl- when they hatch and you're like three days out and they're all out and you're like, I'm not keeping any of these except for that one, that one, that one, that one, yeah. and that one. It's a clutch uh-huh. of eight and you have four hold bags. Yeah. 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 So when our black year, pines yeah. hatched, I didn't want to get rid of it. Like they're all still at West Liberty, every single one of them. I, I and now there's one from you. Thank you. Yeah. Added to the mix. So that snake uh, was an absolute dirt bag. Mm-hmm. He's here at my house actually, and he eats like yeah. a champ. So yeah, he can be a dirt bag as long as he keeps eating. That's all I so, care about. I actually had a pair of Dion's as holdbacks, and then I had one that still had never fed, and I sold the pair and the because I, I was like, you know what. I'm going to pair them again. I'm going to make more like there's no need for me to really hold on to any right now. So I sold the pair and then I told it was uh, my buddy, Dustin Sutton. Um, I said, Hey, if you want this non-feeder, I'll throw it in there. You know, I've, it's not losing weight. There's nothing wrong with it. It's active. It moves like it's, it's looks completely normal. Like there's absolutely nothing wrong with that snake. It just hasn't eaten at all. So I sent those off. I tried to tell myself that though. You know, I don't. It's I try to limit holdbacks per clutch yeah. at least to where it's like one or two, unless it's something in particular. Mm-hmm. 
you know, like the Tessera stuff that, that we did this year. And <clears throat> it's tough because then I'd like sometimes I'll just hold on to stuff for a while because I'm on the fence about it just to kind of see how it, which direction it goes. And then sure. And then kind of say, OK, yeah. I really don't like non-essential personnel I'll kind of go through and do like yep. a inventory of what's who's here and who, who yeah. should be and who shouldn't be or who doesn't need to be and go by that. But it's really hard because it's especially when you get stuff that that has a you know may not look great now but you have a feeling it's going to turn out real nice yeah so like what am i going to just hold on to it for three years until it gets where it needs to be like <laughs> yes yeah yeah yes my, my, my alternative project that i'm like one of the things i'm the most excited about is i've got this male uh f1 three mile west alterna from Stu tennyson that's like it's black it's a black snake it's it's for every you've no nobody i've ever seen has posted a alternative looks like this and then i've got a female from uh justin's dad that was uh produced by anthony corball nice. and she's extremely dark i mean she's her her, her uh, actual ground color is just dark 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 so i paired them up this year and i got a beautiful clutch well i got some babies that look like <laughs> they're they're mind-blowing like there's mm-hmm. alternative don't look like that usually from this locality and i'm like i know that these are going to be black like dad i could just tell they're going to go but all of them kind of hatch with this extremely sky blue ground color. Oh, cool. So I've got to wait. I've got to wait. I can't. You know what I mean? Yeah. you got to grow See, up a little like, bit. Stuff like that is kind of the exception where it's, yeah. it's like, okay, this isn't just, um, you know, like the F1 Ladies Island stuff that I have. <laughs> like where yeah. it's like one or two kind of look stand out a little bit. So I'll hold on to those and. It's definitely not one of those things where it's like I got to hold on to every single one of these and see what happens. They mm. change so much; it sucks. It's no, it doesn't suck. Maybe it's part of the part of the adventure. You know, I, I, with garbs and uh, leeches, I tend to those hold are, on. Yeah, to them those are for really hard. They change so much mm-hmm. every shed, and they shed twice a week. It seems like, and, and it's you know, what do you? How do you pick a holdback, right? So, yeah. no, we, don't I did. I did that stuff for a little while, and, and you're you are correct. I, I just. And I wasn't prepared for how many eggs racks lay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I thought, you know, all right, we're going to lay like a couple eggs. We're done. And it's like two eggs a month for the next 10 months. Uh, but, no, the gargs are kind of fun. We have we have some gargs at school. Every, yeah. And uh, that's the one thing I'll let the students breed if they want to, just to kind of experience the process because they don't – we always need more of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But they took pictures of them uh, once a month for like a year, I think. And it was crazy how that ontogeny shifted from one extreme oh, to another. It's wild. <laughs> get to get them some leeches so they can learn what stress we have. Oh, we have leeches. Oh yeah. We have a dozen so, leeches. So we can't get our, our leeches won't breed. They just bite the shit out of people. Yeah. Um, we know we have nuanas and we have, um, grand GTs and, Ooh. uh, Yates. Like we've got the big ones. Uh, the yates. Yates. yates yeah. Yeah. That's um, I would say Yates. <laughs> like those things are like yeah, baby yates are twenty five hundred, three thousand dollars. I know. <laughs> yeah, and we tried right. to get them to breed, and all they do is look at each other, and and they do all the cuddling. They go in their cork tubes. They do everything. They just will not commit. So uh, have they started? Have you had any like really just beat the ever living shit out of each other? Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 That's what mine like to do. Yeah. No, I, I had that cool. happen. So the first time this was like two or three years ago. This is pre-COVID. I had a student who was like, I want to do a breeding project for my capstone. We have a uh, the last class you take in our biology degree. You do a project and then you present it to the department. And I was like, Well, I bought like 
these freaking leeches not to look at. Like, let's try to get them to pair bond and do all that jazz. Yeah. And I was, I wanted to honor the localities. I did not want to make mutts. Sure. Um, and we put the, the yates together <laughs> and uh, we got a, I remember I got a phone call. It was like midnight, 1231 in the morning, because one of the things that's great about being a professor is you realize how literal people take the things you say. Yeah. In this case, it worked out because I said to the, the student, like, all right, now you got to sit here all night and you mm -hmm. can't go anywhere. Sit there with um, a flashlight. And they sat there literally and it was like 1.30 in the morning and that's when they decided like, yeah, this is not happening and just started like Godzilla destroying each other in this viv. And uh, they didn't call they me. Sound they sound like called, demons. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, I had that same pair here. This is also what's fun. And they were in this room. Um, <laughs> and I didn't tell my wife. I didn't tell my son that there were leeches here. And my <laughs> wife and I are sound sleepers. But when thunderstorms would move through, the mail would just start like, clucking and making all those vocalizations well my poor kid was like six what like there's demons what the hell is in the basement and i'm like yeah you know and and he he heard them for like two or three nights in a row and just didn't yeah. tell me and he wasn't sleeping and he's like there's something down there i was like yeah there's something down there's just a gecko it's like <laughs> damn it <laughs> like, but it so, is the stuff yeah. of nightmares mm -hmm. yeah no they uh yeah, pairing those, it's like you need to be on neutral territory. You yes. can't be taking one into another one's. I mean, it sounds like y'all kind of done all the research. Oh, no, we did. We did yeah. mm -hmm. And people are like, I mean, they just, they lay eggs. They they incubate at room temperature. They eat paste. Why are they so expensive? And it's like, breed them. Yeah, get them to pair bond. I can get them to pair bond. And to get them to stay paired because they, yes. they, they'll start fighting and they'll go over territorial issues. And it's like, you almost have to put them with like one stick in the enclosure you know, open sides. You don't want to have them with closed sides. You need, they need to be able to see out. And then they've got to be able to sleep next to each other. And if the male's one direct, yeah, it's super fun. No. I love it. No. So I do have leeches available. If anybody's looking for uh, baby leeches, go. go ahead and hit me up at Badlands for Culture on Instagram. Go ahead and hit me up. <laughs> there we go. Buy one, get one free. Alrighty. Yes. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. No. <laughs> No. So uh, early Christmas special, early Christmas special. You may buy one at full price, and I will still mm -hmm. have you pay shipping. Um, nice. So you are you're talking about school, and it, yeah. I'm assuming it's not a daycare. Uh, no. Can you tell us a little bit about? Uh, I know you've talked about this a million times. Million times. Which is, yes. This is but, the other dead horse. Yeah, mm -hmm. the other dead horse. Uh, it's real quick. Uh, what, what is the what is your uh, professorship, yeah. and uh, and what is it that you do? Yeah, we, we, we were going to do the five minute or less version. So, oh, two minutes. I'm a, all right, we'll do it in two minutes. Biology professor, West Liberty University. Uh, West Liberty started a zoo science major, which prepares people to work in zoos uh, in the biology department. 2016, I wasn't supposed to be in charge of it. I was supposed to be the ecologist. I run the crayfish lab. You can see right here, wherever the hell it is. There it is. Uh, the guy that was supposed to run zoo sci. Went and became the director of a zoo, and then I was told, it's yours. So I got to live my 19-year-old dream and basically create a giant reptile collection that I oversee with another individual yeah. um, and can live vicariously through that collection. And then that made me, of course, have to get my own collection. So now there's just snakes everywhere. Nice. That's awesome. it in a nutshell. Perfect. Oh, and I have grad students. I'm always plugging the grad students because I'm always looking for grad students. So. I run, it used to be, we used to call it the evidence-based herpetoculture lab because you always have to have a name when you have a lab, but that's changed because some, one, the grad student work on the project was like, yeah, what about me? I do field research with snakes. And I was like, oh yeah, <laughs> that's not 
herpetoculture. So now it's the applied herpetology and herpetoculture lab. So AKA Thunderdome. Uh, yes. Also known as aha. So, aha. Uh, I like and, it. and uh, so uh, it's kind of starting out right now, but we've put out some publications. I uh, wrote a book that should be published soon. Um, and I'm always looking for grad students to come on. So there you go. I think Wonderful. that was good. Yeah. That's perfect. <laughs> so that was perfect. I, I, yeah. I texted her a message him one day. I was like, how do I become a grad student? <laughs> and I was like, I dropped out after like yeah. three semesters. You just have to finish that four-year degree. That's all. <laughs> He was like, uh, go back to school. I was like, Shit. <laughs> can I do it online at the age of 40? That's right. Yes. You actually can. That's my answer to that. <laughs> oh, don't tell me that. Don't mm-hmm. tell me that. Does it cost the monies? Yes, it costs the monies. Okay, so we're out. We checked there one box. We got, mm-hmm. we checked one. We were almost there. We were halfway almost there. there. Almost there. Halfway there. Yeah. Okay. So in this uh, program, in this uh, mm-hmm. institute, I'm, I'm assuming that there's been experience with corn snakes. And, oh, God, and I'd yeah. love to hear you talk about that. Yes. In, in positive lights only. Positive, mostly positive. So, we, like 97% we were, positive. Yeah, 97%. I'll even go 98%. Okay. So, when we were, um, when I was starting this whole thing back in 2017, I, I, I did what nerdy academics like me do, which is you kind of go into the literature, you find journal articles. And I was just trying to figure out, like, what the hell does academic herpet culture even look like? And what does it look like with snakes? Those were like the two questions I needed to answer so that I could then join the party. And um, long story short, corn snakes are kind of the, the lab rats or the white mouse of academic herpetoculture when it comes to snakes. So if you're going to do a UVB study, does UVB change the blood chemistry of snakes? There's a UVB study that's done on corn snakes. There's there's a couple, actually. Um, yeah. If you're going to study like what do how do snakes respond when you give them a lot of stuff in an enclosure and then you keep them in a minimalistic enclosure the the standard snake that you're going to use for that is a corn snake sure. so um that's what we would call laboratory animal that's what we call culture animal and so i knew immediately all right well if that's the case we need we need a bunch of them because this is the kind of standard so uh, i mean are they I, a decent baseline for most other species, I mean, obviously, you're going to have your That's outliers, a good question. but, you know, for voids and other stuff, is it? I don't think that comparing the results for a corn snake to, like, ball pythons, I think that's totally apples to oranges. It's not apples to apples. I also don't think comparing corn snakes to something like a hognose snake is mm-hmm. apples yeah. you know, to apples. I think that's apples to oranges. But for the family colubridae, for a using fancy speak, rodentiferous colubrine, yes, basically means snake that eats rodents. That's in the colubrid lineage. And so the only snake that I had during my period away from herpetoculture, I've I've kept snakes continuously since 1996, but from 2006 to 2016, that 10-year period, I had two snakes in my collection. I had a Brooks King um, and I had a corn snake that I raised. So corn snakes kind of ever been present. So I took that male. It was Herschel. And I just went to the local herp show way back when. And I bought the first normal looking female I could find. I didn't care what was in it. I just was like, you look somewhat normal. That's what I'm looking for. And then we first breeding project we did for Zeusai was we bred corn snakes. So that's awesome. We started our research colony through you know, our means. 
And then we bred that male and that female in 2016, 2017, 2018. And then in 2019, 2018, 2019, um, they all run together now. I think it was 2018, though. That's when the infamous crypto strike happened and essentially wiped them all out. I mean, like the one snake that our crypto strain would, like, kill was recording snakes. And so all those babies, all those juveniles, all that stuff, they died. So we had to kind of start over again. But the male and the female that founded the colony were still alive. So I went and I picked up um, some Abbott line Okatees. Nice. Uh, and uh, we raised those. And then West Virginia passed a, passed a rule that's starting to change that basically made holding corn snakes illegal. And several people started surrendering corn snakes to the DNR. And the DNR was then like, oh, crap. Now we have corn snakes because we made a rule. We got to do something with all these corn snakes. Didn't plan and, for that, did you? Yeah. And I know the people that do that stuff, and they knew that we had the uh, collection at West Liberty. So we got a lot of free corn snakes that way. All kinds of different more. I couldn't tell you what they are. I know you all could rattle them off. I think one's a lavender. I think Ooh. one is a snow. Um, is it white? Yes. Uh, and then that's all I know. And there's a couple other that are like pink and orange and tangerine. So there you go. But we, we bred those together. And now we're sitting on, I think that, I don't know the exact number of adults that we have, but I tried to get it at 10.10. So we have 10 males, 10 females, and we have at least five different males to add some heterogeneity to the mix. So that is the, the corn snake colony that's rolling at West Liberty. Nice. And then we've done several projects with the offspring um taylor hartman the master student that was the reason why we were making we were breeding all the snakes we're testing the kind of old adage in herpetoculture if you incubate the eggs at a cooler temperature you get small bigger offspring if you incubate them at a warmer temperature you get a warmer or sorry you get it not a warmer eh, we well, guess you do get a smaller offspring uh so we bred corn snakes pretty much non-stop for the past three years um, and then I, I knew we were going to be doing that. And I knew that we had some pretty neat personalities in our snakes. Like some of the corns want to rip your face off, which is weird for corns as adults. And then others are just like gentle and some of them won't eat. And I wanted to see like, is there a genetic predisposition there that will show up in the offspring? And I have this student who's a rock star as an undergrad. She's going to stay with us for grad school. Her name is Brie Light. And she came to me like the timing was perfect. And she didn't know what she did to herself because she came in like late February and she was like, I want a big project. And I was like, okay, why don't we track the first six months of life for every corn snake we make this year? And she was like, yes. <laughs> so <laughs> we made close to 140 corn snakes this year. Oh, and, man. Um, well, we, made, we, we got 140 eggs. I asked Bree before I came on tonight to make sure my numbers were right. We're sitting at 100 to 105 babies right now. Sure. And uh, we're not getting rid of any of those babies until January. And so nice. we have tracked the weight of mom. We've tracked every time we fed mom and dad. We've tracked uh, how many times they've crapped, how many times they've eaten, what they've eaten, their mass every three weeks. And that's for all those snakes. Wow. So what the goal is, is I just want to like be able to publish – what the six, first six months of life look like for a corn snake, because that data doesn't exist. And that's kind of a standard publication with laboratory yeah. animals. Like that exists for axolotls. 
that exists for white mice, for lab rats. It does not really exist for corns. So I thought, okay, yeah, we could do that. And then the other thing that's really cool is since we incubated those eggs at cool temperatures and warm temperatures, we're also looking at the difference in baby fitness over that six-month period of time. So, like, sure. everybody talks about uh, okay. how big the babies are when they come out. Mm-hmm. Well, does, like, that bigger baby catch up with the smaller babies at six months out? Or do they really see that, like, increase in size mm-hmm. for the duration of their lives? Like, is there yeah, really is. an, an additive, additive advantage to doing that? So, Is it linear is it, or is it more like a bell curve, right? Yeah, like, exactly. at some point, all these mm-hmm. things start to kind of... those decisions that you made early on uh pre-hatching uh is it you know yep that's that's i need i need someone to replicate the mouse cutting oh we can do that that's a great project yeah that would be a good one i i keep saying every year when i have eggs that i'm gonna do it and then i'm like wait a second like keeping track of these things i basically i I didn't want to because I'm I'm horrible about notes and things like that. Mm-hmm. I was like, I know at some point I'm gonna miss something, and I mean, really, I'd be doing it just for myself. But I think in the in the in terms of like if someone's looking for something, I think that's a really easy one to do. But I think it'd also be really interesting to see if you get the same results that that Hurley did. No, that that's yeah. the exact kind of study that I like to do. What one thing that I've always been interested in somebody doing is if you offer a snake multiple small prey items compared to one large, but the weights were identical or similar similar within some percentage, right? Like, let's say I have a five-gram fuzzy and two pinkies that added up to five grams, but carry that on up into adulthood. That would be pretty neat. I did that. Yeah? What was yeah. The, so what's the answer? Tell us. We did results. it with – we actually did it with corn snakes. Now I'm thinking about it. Uh, we do a lot of things, of course. So we did that ours. way back in 2017. Um, yeah. uh, my first clutch of false water cobras ever. I was trying to justify not getting rid of any of them. So I was like, we need them for science. So that's yeah. how we're going to keep them all. And so I had an I had an under, and we also had, of course, the baby corn snakes. So we did exactly that thing. We I had a student, and I had her go up, and um, her name was Colleen Hoselton. She took pinky mice and figured out how many pinky mice equaled a um, a fuzzy. Nice. And then we did that exact thing. And I can tell you, based off our sample size, I'm not saying this works for every snake on planet Earth because there's all kinds of variables you have to control for. But uh, smaller items more often definitely led to more growth. And, and I think biologically, comes the dog, <laughs> why that happens is that physiologically their metabolism goes up and then it kind of stays up. And when it stays elevated, they act that becomes their homeostatic state. Like that's normal, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. And um, you don't lose any energy because you're staying up there and that energy allocation goes straight to growth. When you feed them that large prey item, every time you feed them that one a week large prey item, they got to ramp their metabolism up. Then they got to digest it. And then they come back down again and they go into a resting state. And then you're hitting them with another prey item and they're going to lose energy when they ramp back up. Oh, to yeah. Get to the. Yeah. And there was another study that was a body in motion stays in motion kind of thing. Exactly. There's another study that we're I'm doing right now because I, 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 it was referenced in a an indigo paper, and I was like, what the hell? Like, how the hell isn't this when this been done? I don't know if it was like a legit study or just a mention. I can't remember, but um, they were trying to figure out how to get indigo snakes to be releasable, get to releasable size as soon as possible, and they found 
that feeding multiple prey items but different prey items led to increased ah, growth. Okay. So if you gave like a fuzzy and a uh, quail chick, there's completely different macromolecules there. So you're basically just ba you're you're not only giving keeping them at that elevated state, but something that might be missing from a rodent they're going to pick up with the bird was the idea. That's very interesting. Yeah. yeah. So now I'm doing that with false the, my four false water cobra holdbacks I have right now. They're from this year. They're uh, they're getting that exact diet. They get a rat pink on Monday, and I believe they get a quail on Thursday, and then we throw a tilapia in there every other week. And I just want to see if they cool. grow more than others. So interesting. So you also did the uh, UV uh, experiment with corn snakes. I remember hearing you talk about that at one point. Yes, we did. And with the UV, what we did with that is we use we always use babies because they're just smaller and they're easier. To manipulate. Yeah, a million of them. Yeah. yeah, and we get we have we, you always need big sample sizes when you're doing science, but the problem is that demo, demographically a baby snake is different biologically than a juvenile, and a juvenile is different than an adult, and an adult is different than a geriatric. So I kind of always question our results when we do these babies baby sure. studies, but I can flat out say with the um with corn snakes we did see a preference towards uh. Not necessarily towards full-blown UV and not towards no UV. They hung out in that intermediate zone where the lights would kind of overlap, which I thought was okay. pretty interesting. And then the – see, we do all these damn projects, and I don't think about them ever. And now I'm like, oh, yeah, we did this, and then we did that. We did another study with corns, which was really cool. And, and this is actually – this impacted me as a keeper. This made me question keeping Pantherophis the way I did. Uh, we bought – great big massive vivaria from um animal plastics yeah they were six feet long three feet deep two feet tall and then we put dividers down the middle of them we still have these things by the way and one of my former grad students and i work with her now kinsey guthrie we cut a divider we cut a hole in the divider and we gave them the ability to choose and one side of the vivaria was just decked out with sticks and mulch and water bowl and a, a, a vertical hide hanging off the top and the hide nice. on the bottom, and the yeah. other side was newspaper hide bowl, and the the corn the corn snakes above, like the corn snakes and the false water cobras that were in the study, like they literally went to the newspaper to crap. It was the only reason they <laughs> went over there. So they would go over there, defecate, and then they would come back, and they just spent their entire time in that. Uh, naturalistic enclosure and what was also really interesting was we had video cameras on them yeah and we basically recorded their behavior like we I, Kinsey had to sit there and watch hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of footage and uh, the 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 corns in particular were out moving around in that vivaria every single day like yeah every day they did multiple laps exactly when they do laps in nature they they were crepuscular so they would come out yeah. right when the it was getting dark and for like the first 2 hours of dark and then they would go up into their hides for like the rest of the night and then at daylight when we would the lights would come on they'd be cruising around a little bit and then they would go back to their hides and that just kind of that that made me question keeping them in racks because we were literally testing them and I don't I don't care what people do I'm just simply saying for me Given the fact that they literally were crapping on the rack setup, you know, kind of, I was like, okay, maybe I'm not going <laughs> to do this. There's, I'm going to give them 
for space. But, yeah. you know, if you put mulch in there, you give them a hide, you give them a stick, you're adding complexity to a rack tub. I mean, this was like sure. as minimalistic as you can get. Mm -hmm. uh, but no, the, the adults definitely, it was, it was very telling to me uh, how much they were actually engaged in that space. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just seeing, you know, obviously I'm full-blown the opposite of a scientist and uh, just in my collection, but, you know, meeting, you know, I'm good friends with John Lasseter and kind of <laughs> switching over my keeping to his style of keeping, uh, AKA the church of Lasseter yes. and, and the options and the yes, way I found that I do my options uh, and, and efficient and economical ways to do that because there's there's th that is involved when you have a hundred snakes yep. uh, and the, just the way they act it's it's you'll you'll find a snake that's very food aggressive uh sometimes overly defensive that's in a tub with aspen and a water bowl which you know what you, that snake will probably live just as long as my snakes uh, mm -hmm. i'm not gonna poo poo on anybody that does that and that's fine you keep them on paper with a water bowl a lot of people have been doing that for 50 years uh, and, and it show, have shown success, but also how often are you in the room? How often are you stressing them out? How often are the lights on? How, how often are you interacting? How often are you cleaning? There's so many variables in that, but just giving them options the way that I've kind of decided yeah. to do it myself. I don't have a lot of cage aggression or tub aggression anymore. I don't open up and have snakes flying out, uh, yeah. that are, that are not getula complex. Um, mm -hmm. and, and you know, it's, it's, you know, you'll find some man, you see, start seeing, between 20, 30 adult corn snakes, maybe 20 adult corn snakes, start seeing similarities. Wow, a lot of these are doing the same thing. They're hanging mm -hmm. out with that particular type of hide at that particular time. And, and it's, it's, it's really <sighs> every day we're so lucky to be able to learn more and transfer this knowledge to each other's brains. It's such a blessing yes. that we have the community that we have now uh, because I said it to Justin when I first met him, and I say it to everybody that does this. You know, Zach, you, you've got your podcast. This is free, right? It's I don't free. get paid to do this, Justin. We, mm -hmm. we, none of us get paid to do this. No, we don't. Uh, <laughs> and, 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 you know, you get paid to be a professor and do your experiments, mm -hmm. but if you never published anything and you never posted videos, you never did podcasts, you know, the Herpeterculture family, right? Mm -hmm. We wouldn't know. So it's oh, all yeah, free no. information. And, and gobble it up. People don't, gobble you know, I... I I come from breeding geckos in 1998, 1999, and the information that was available to us then, uh, sparse. Uh, you know, you really, you really had to experiment and you had to get lucky. Uh, There's a lot of luck involved in what we did back then. Uh, oh, yeah. No, so. no, speaking of that, I remember back in 2003, uh, I, I was like, I'm going to breed corn snakes. I went to Florida Tech for my, I went to Florida for my first failed attempt at grad school and got the hell out of Florida. Mm -hmm, and I ended up mm -hmm, going to Marshall. Mm -hmm. But uh, that lab is where that was the first time I was introduced to racks and large animal collection and breeding snakes. Yeah. Up till then, I was the I got to have one of this and one of this and one of this and one of this. And I thought, OK, I'm going to breed something this year. And it was that's where the corn snakes were. And sure. I laugh at my incubator because I, I read the, the, the Kathy Love Bible. Yeah. And in there, they talk about making an incubator out of a 10-gallon aquarium and bricks. And you get an aquarium mm -hmm. heater. And you put it down in the water and you dial it in to get it to 82 degrees and then make sure the lid's tight because the babies will escape. And that's literally how I incubated my first yeah. clutch of corn snake eggs was in that exact 10 gallon setup. And now we have, now I have like these molecular biology incubators and a sea serpent <laughs> incubator in the garage. And I always think about that whenever I 
look at it. And then I talked to people like the Zirkles, who were like, yeah, we don't even incubate them. In. We just put them on the <laughs> top shelf in our closet where we keep the snakes, and that's how yeah. they hatch. It's like, oh, okay, cool. So, yeah, yeah. No, I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> I, I kind of didn't have an idea on what to do for an incubator when I started breeding things that needed to be incubated. Because uh, my room stays pretty cool because of the geckos. Geckos incubate at room temperature, oh, yeah. and they're fine, right? Uh, so I wanted to hit that 80-degree mark. So I, I decided, hey, I'm an engineer. I could do some online research. <laughs> and I went and I bought a $16 ice chest, igloo ice chest from Walmart. I drilled a hole in the side. I bought a Zoomed heat mat. I layered the bottom of it with water bottles as a heat sink. I took a workout mat, and I cut it to the size, and I put it <laughs> on top of the heat mat. And I put a probe with an ink bird and I linked mm -hmm. it all together and I foamed up the, the hole because, you know, I, I was scared of something. And then I put them in the exact containers that I was incubating my geckos in. And damn, that thing held, you know, 81, 80 degrees That's for awesome. two years straight. Never had a problem. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, <sighs> we can overcomplicate this. Oh, hell uh, yeah. We, we can make this really easy. I can tell you go mm -hmm. buy a Sea Serpent's hot box. It is probably the best incubator on the market. Uh, it, it's, it you mm -hmm. know. But it's like getting that information out there, showing people how you did it. You know, I spent yeah. you know forty bucks, thirty bucks on that setup. You know, and and had water bottles that were still good. Threw them in, threw them in the <laughs> fridge once I got my sea serpents hot box. And, and mm -hmm. so, so yeah, no, no. It's the, the, that those experiments, those those tries, those failures. The, uh, a success is nothing if there weren't a million failures before it. And, and, and oh hell yeah, that's the whole point of the experiments. Uh, but awesome. No. And so I'm excited that you guys are using corn snakes. I love to see corn snakes in a light that is a scientific setting. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we've got our, uh, you know, we've got our snoop boopers. We've got our pet tubers. We've got our herpeticulturists. We've got our professional breeders. But guess what? These animals are also being used in, 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 a, uh, in, a, in a school setting, in an uh, education setting. And it's, yeah. it's awesome. It's great to hear nope. that. And we will be publishing that incubation study. I can't tell you the answer yet because we haven't looked at the data. We, we oh, looked yeah. at the one year, um, and I'm not going to tell you what we did yet because that would be scooping Taylor. But yeah, I'm excited to to let the world know what we found and then get and then just prepare for everybody to say it's BS. So there, <laughs> <laughs> it's science. Uh, hit, hit, him, hit him with the Zach or Doctor Lawson. <laughs> tell him you no, can't okay. beat science. <laughs> you can't beat science without better science. Oh, that's man. right. Well, That's my exactly anecdotal right. opinions that I've seen with my three snakes beats that <laughs> giant multi-year, multi-hundred. Yeah. I, I think it's like going to be close to 200 freaking corn snake eggs that went through this. It's not a small little multiple genetic lines. You know what I'm saying? It's not just we'll see what happens anyway. So, no, that's what we've done with corn snakes. Awesome. <laughs> Quite a that's, bit. That's and I hope I hope you continue mm -hmm. to use them. Oh, we will. Your lab rats, and it's, they, it's, they will be our lab rats yeah. because we're good. At, it's one of the so it's one of the snakes that we are able to use at the university that are able to handle the abuse of being taken care of by a hundred twenty year olds. <laughs> so, like, that's the thing that's interesting about this collection that Kinsey Guthrie and I oversee is like all of us that are doing this. It's it's our collection. So we go in and interact with those animals every day, and we learn the rhythm of the room and all that kind of good good stuff. The rhythm of the room goes to absolute crap when there's 30 people in it. Yeah. Because the mere fact that there's 30 people in it, just that alone is enough yeah. to make the snakes go, what the hell? Yeah. Uh, and it's, and, you know. Yes. 
and, and it's a teaching collection. It is not my collection to use for my will. All those animals are serving the purpose of teaching the next generation of herpetoculture peeps yeah. and to do these publications. So we did this year, though, we've grown enough where I was like, okay, we need some like dedicated research space and we need some animals that are going to be taken care of like by maybe five people instead of yeah. everybody. And so we, we did do that this year. Um, yeah. Which is cool. But no, the corn snakes, though, they, it doesn't matter. There are going to be 15, 20 year olds in that room pulling yeah. tubs. You put the boy with the girl, he's still going to mate with her. So that's, uh, what, that's what matters. The, the, you know, the old <laughs> adage that they're a good entry-level animal to keep. It's mm -hmm. not only because they're... Oh, there's a million morphs. It's a great place to yeah. step into the hobby, right? But mm -hmm. the truth to it is, look at look at a range map, right? Look at look at a range map for the Gutatis Complex. It's pretty, pretty damn big. Nothing yes, is, is that successful in the wild without being able to deal with stress, breed mm -hmm. under multiple conditions, feed well as, as, as a neonate, uh, handle temperature swings like an absolute champion and then be able to be kept in a million different environments. Right. And it's, yeah, it, you, you don't get no, a range perfect. map like that. Yeah. It, you know, look at, look at, look at the species that are really, uh, we find very fragile in the hobby. Uh, you know, the ones that can't live in Florida, you know, it's crazy. And, uh, mm -hmm. th th then, then we look at, and, and then they don't do well with stress, right? Stressors really affect them. Uh, they don't breed well, uh, in diverse situations, they don't keep well in multiple different habitats, right? High humidity, low humidity. Uh, so there's 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 so much more to chew on in that statement of it being an entry level animal than there is. Oh, no, just, yeah, just yeah, they're pretty and they're right? fun. That yeah. no, they're pretty and they're fun. That's the other thing. Like when I got in back into this 2016, I was convinced that I have to work with something fancy. Yeah, I can't work with something that's like a corn snake. And now here I am. And I work with like the corn snake's thug brother, yeah. King Snake. So you know what I'm <laughs> I was saying? Say, thorn scrubs? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and the and thorn scrubs. I have thorn scrubs. Chris sent me thorn scrubs. We're gonna talk about them soon. <laughs> yeah, Chris sent me thorn, thorn scrubs. scrubs too. Yeah. <laughs> I have I have bled freely result into those snakes and cackled at the same time. What so, a, what a segue too. So if we're talking mm -hmm. about range maps and yeah. we're talking about Gutatis, why don't we talk about Gutatis is bigger, uh, uglier? Yeah stronger uh brother the mm. the emory eye complex yeah uh, so 100 zach why don't you How hit you? us with the emory eye complex what 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 species subspecies are we talking about okay so currently currently well so this is where mm. it gets kind of interesting um, taxonomy's can, not even real I, yeah i can give you exactly it's all a lie and i'm a taxonomist um with crayfish <laughs> anywho <laughs> people think that when these papers are published that like the papers published and then immediately the tax the, the taxonomy that was present on papers published today on a Thursday. Yeah. The taxonomy that was the way we accepted it on Wednesday is now obsolete. That's not the way this works at all. It, it can be published and you can look at that and read it and interpret it and basically be like, BS, I'm keeping the old way. Uh, so with, <laughs> there you go. So with these guys, they're kind of fun. So up until 2002, uh, the way that this worked is they were all basically, you would have identified them all as corn snakes with different subspecies. So there was um, there were the two eastern subspecies, which was uh, Gutatis, or Gutata at the time, but now it's Pantherophis, so it went to Gutatis. So Gutatis, yes. Gutatis, which is the corn snake, which we all know about corn snakes. And then there was um, 
rosaceae, the rosy rat, which was endemic to the southern part of Florida, supposedly endemic to the southern part of Florida, and then the Florida Keys. They're uh, still there, Zach. They are. They are. Okay. <laughs> so we got the rosy rats down there, and then you kind of go over, and when you get into the the middle part of the country, there was um, where the plains are. Uh, that's where we get the great plain, the plains rat snake, great plains rat snake, Emery's rat snake, whatever you want to call it. And that's where MRI showed up. And at the time, prior to 2002, it would have been good. Uh, well, at that, that time, it would have been a Lefe Gutata MRI. And then you kind of work your way down to where you're from, Chris. And that's where you pick up our good friend, the thorn scrub. And that would have been uh, a Lefe yeah, Gutata's Milmorum. Yeah. Milmorum. And then I, hang it up. Its own little isolated kingdom in Utah and Colorado. You have, um, you had at the time, uh, Lefe Gutata intermontanus, which is the the uh, intermontane uh, rat snake. And all the way back in like the forties, these things were being named and everything. Somebody called in the question intermontanus in the fifties, so that one was the one that was kind of questionable. But yeah, everybody kind of just accepted this is the way. Um, there were some people even back in the early 2000s that thought Milamorum wasn't anything, but we'll get to that in a minute because you're going to have your day. Chris. I have I have a question <laughs> with with this. So, what Go is the it. what's the significance between Gutata versus Gutatus in okay. terms of Latin so, and that whole thing? Because I've seen that happen with some other species too, where it was originally like ended in an A, and then they changed it to an US. Can totally answer that question. It has to deal with the genus name. So gene, genera, and by the way, the word genuses does not exist. Don't say it. It's genera. So there's your little public <laughs> announcement. Don't you today. tell me what I can and can't use in my American language. Someone will say that, but for the love of God, people, genuses, ugh, not a word. Genera. So when you change genera from one, one genera to another, in Latin, words are masculine or feminine. And that means basically that when you do a binomial, which is combining two names together, uh, the genera, be it masculine or feminine, its sex is then dictated upon the specific epithet, which is the species name. So I don't, I don't know which one's masculine or feminine. I have to look this crap up in my Latin dictionary whenever I do this with crayfish. But basically, Alefe was one, and that's why it ended in Gutata. And then we went to Pantherophis, following the revision of the North American rat snakes. And it's Gutatus. The gender shift shifted, and that's when it went to Gutatus. Uh, so that's why that ended up happening. But in 2002, uh, Frank Burbrink publishes a paper. And Burbrink is infamous for tackling the North American rat snakes. He's the reason why we had all the subspecies. And then we went down to three, and everybody loses their minds over that. That is a conversation for another day. But he, he, he did that with North American rat snakes first, I believe. And then he hit the other uh, rat snake, with the exception of Baradite, obviously, which was the, Hell um, yeah. the uh, <laughs> corn snake complex. And what he did is he looked at mitochondrial DNA, and he basically was able to show back using early 2000s genetics, which is about as different compared to what we do today as it could possibly be. But he was basically, make a very, very long story short, he had questionable sample size, but all these papers have questionable sample size. That's just the nature of the beast. But he got animals from Colorado, Texas, Great Plains, Louisiana, um, Ar not Arkansas, Louisiana, East Texas, and then he got you know, classic 
corn snakes from southeast and then he got the rosy rats and and what his results showed is that genetically there was no difference between rosy rats and non-rosy rats there was like zero difference um and he he did some like morpho morphometrics and showed like these things blur together and so he kind of effectively sunk rosy rats so if you've ever wondered like where did rosy rats go that's when the rosy rats died was in that yeah. paper um and then with mri what he did uh is he basically said that mri is not a subspecies of corn snakes genetically they form their own lineage their own clade and that's when mri was officially split away from corn snakes it was in just 2002 it wasn't that yeah. long ago uh but then when he did that he also he he showed based off his results that the clades that were in Kansas, Colorado, Texas, um, Missouri, all over the place, they all grouped together. And so those were all MRI, no more subspecies. And then this population that's down in Louisiana, which was always thought based off of its phenotype to be the, the kind of contact zone to corn snakes yeah. and MRI, they were always viewed as um, integrated integrate populations they actually based off his results clated together and that is when we got sluinskia so in one paper a lot happens to corn snakes in 2002 yeah. 2002 um, was a huge shake yeah yes and what's interesting is that's the way it stayed until like just into 2009 and then it could uh, when burbrink goes off gets his phd he's now at the american museum of natural history he's pumping out graduate students now and somebody and, and a student of his did a study using MRI and Gutatis again, and basically their study was looking at uh, was was basically in defense of Slowinski. There were a lot of people that were like, "This is bullshit," and there were a, there were a handful of people like, "No, it's real." And whenever that happens in your taxonomist, you can either like say, "I'm done," and put my hands up, or you can kind of get a little prickly and defensive and decide to defend. Your, your species honor. It's super nerdy, but that's just the way this works. And so the best way to do that is you don't do the work. You give it to your graduate students say, now you do this <laughs> thing that I want you to do for me. So that's basically what ended up happening. And uh, a guy named Myers in 2019 looked at Slowinski I, the MRI group, and Gutatis, and he did some really crazy stuff. And basically what they did is they looked at genetics and then they, they, they looked at where the animals lived and then they did some modeling based off where the animals lived. And they defended Slowinski and MRI being different from MRI because they said this. They basically said that MRI is a, is a plane specialist. It will move into forests when they are present, but it lives in a completely different habitat than Slowinski. Slowinski is in these pine forest uplands. Yeah, and there's this idea in biology it's called the ecological species concept, where it's a, um, where species can basically be separated by by habitat preference, uh, and that like the great big geographic barrier for these things has always been the Mississippi River, sure. and anybody that does field herping around lakes or big rivers or water bodies has had the moment, and it's always with Pantherophis, by the way, where you're like in the middle of a freaking lake. And there goes a black rat snake across. The like they just don't give a shit about water. So yeah. a lot of people said like, so the Mississippi River is keeping these things from breeding, but we all see them moving across water. So basically, when I read the paper, the way I interpret it is they're, they're saying, well, there was another barrier. It wasn't just the Mississippi River. It was this yeah. pine upland habitat. 
Yeah. And so that's what that paper said. So, so more then, flora, more topographical differences. Yes. So just last year in 2021, that's when the Marshall Ooh. paper comes out. And there's backstory here that like lots of people don't know. There's like drama and tea. Yeah. <laughs> Burbrink does not think subspecies are a thing. Like uh, written papers that literally say subspecies don't exist. Uh, and this is complete BS. There's another guy, very, very, I shouldn't say guy. There's another kind of legendary herpetologist named um, Hillis, who's been at the University of Texas forever. Yeah. He has said subspecies are a thing and we need to honor them since the 70s. So this is so, like, to snake people, we're like, you know, Swinskii versus MRI, Milamorum versus MRI. Like, in, in, in biology, these papers are important because it's more of a... Um, way of testing like subspecies versus species species versus subspecies so this paper comes out by marshall and what what has always been the criticism of swinsky eye is that if you read the 2002 paper and the 2019 paper there's this area in eastern texas where it, those authors say swinsky eye isn't there if you look at range maps there's like this gap where they just don't show up and herpers will say they're freaking there they're on mm -hmm. iNaturalist. Like, you can go on to iNat and see MRI animals in this area that don't exist. So that's what the Myers paper, or sorry, the, the Marshall paper did. Marshall looked at the contact zones between all these taxa, and that's when, like, the bombs dropped, because the bomb basically shows that Slowinskii and MRI bleed into each other, and then... There's this this southern Texas clade that they talk about in the paper. South Texas, they say, Dr. Loffman. Yes, South Texas. And then, sure enough, in that manuscript, they're like, yeah, so there was like something to this South Texas thing. Let's bring Milamorum back. And so it's brought back. But poor Intermontanus, it's dead on the doornail. Like, <laughs> it's never gotten any kind of um, support. And, I always, and that's one in this group that I find fascinating. Yeah, because I, I just look at that thing's distribution and I ask the question, how the hell did you get there? There's yeah. like no intermediate populations. No. And then it's phenotypically different, but genetically yeah. it's the same. So what that tells biologists is that it's invaded that habitat within the past million years, basically. And it hasn't been there long enough for the genotype to mutate. Yeah. But the phenotype has absolutely mutated because yeah. Intermontanus are different snakes. They're smaller. They're they got smaller. a different pattern. Pattern, um, but what's happened is just the, the evolution's acting on that phenotype faster than it's acting on the genotype. I know you got to change the genotype to get the phenotype. It's hardcore evolution that'll bore everybody to death. We're not going to talk about, but inevitably it will be recognized. And yeah. there are taxonomists that say, okay, so if it's going to be recognized in the future. And we have a phenotype that we can recognize, but we don't have genes that we can recognize. Yeah. Why the hell aren't we just recognizing it now? And yeah. um, because nobody studies this group of snakes, poor little intermontanus <laughs> doesn't have an advocate saying that right now. Yeah, so, it, it, that, that little that little population almost acts like a little insular population. Yeah, it is. Obviously, it's, it's, it's totally like, an island. Yeah, yep. it's it's in a it's a mountain island that's mm -hmm. it, it cannot get out of it. And if you look where it's at, it's literally surrounded by the Rockies. And, yeah, right. I, I'm not the best with geography but it's it's no. this tiny little pocket of rat snakes that are in the tiny experience and, the most insane like temperature swings of any yeah. 
on any of this group. They, they, they go from like negative 20 degrees Fahrenheit to over 100 degrees in a given year. Yeah. So, yeah. oh, there it is. That'd be that yeah. little that little t- circle on the left-hand side in the upper there left of Co- or middle of Colorado. Yep. Yeah. And so when you look at this figure, this is from the paper. What yeah. they did is they, they basically came up with a genotype for MRI, a genotype for Slowinski eye, and a genotype for Milamorum. And that yellow you see in those pie graphs is the MRI genes. And you can see that that MRI genetics bleeds into the Slowinski eye and it bleeds into uh, Milamorum. And that's why they basically say there's really there's there's some genetic isolation here, but there's a contact zone where they all meet. And I normally am not on team subspecies. I don't like subspecies. This is one that I am totally on team subspecies for. Yeah, I, I, it makes total sense. Um, so I, I relent to the Hillis approach, Hillis lab approach uh, to this because it just makes sense because they were collecting in that contact zone before. And now they did. Yeah. And if you go to the next map. Well, can you explain a, this predictive, oh, predictive accuracy? What is. Oh, that's that's for the graph to the right. That's not for the map. Oh, OK. I yeah, that's OK. And we can look at maps. We don't need to look at graphs. I like graphs. <laughs> of course you do. You're an engineer. <laughs> but no, there's a big map at the top of one of the pages. I don't know. But that's like the best map because it basically is like, well, bam, here is this thing. There, there it is. I just saw it. That one. Yes. And so there you have the Gutatis complex. Yeah. And I love on this map how they show how the colors blur together. Yeah, yeah. When you get that blurring, that's where you would get an integrate. So yeah. you would basically get an intermediate between them all. And then you notice that 40% of the population is south of the border, and none yes. of that is on the uh, above map because you can't go down and study those as easily. Exactly. I'm, sure there's, I'm sure there's licensing, or I have no idea. Oh, yeah, there's permits and everything. There's permits and so, stuff to go down. It's probably the, not the where you want to be either. The come from down here. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I like I like the 277 low, Loma Alta beards, the the real steel steely colors. Speaking of holdbacks, that's a hard. That was a that was. I put some up for sale, and it was one of those things where it's like, if these don't sell, I'm completely okay with that. That's that's okay. Yeah, and then I that's took them right. down I was like, nah. So the thing that, that drives me crazy about this map, sorry, but I can't explain. Southern Virginia and Northern North Carolina, that break yeah. makes no sense to me. That's what we call the Mason-Dixon line, Dr. Loft. Well, no, we just that's don't, way, we don't do it. <laughs> the Mason-Dixon line is actually about 20 miles south of me. It's the base of the panhandle I live in. Oh, okay, so okay, okay. We are deep in Dixie down there. So well, wait, we we oh. don't do snakes along that line, Dr. <laughs> yeah. Loft. We don't have there to you worry go. about it. You're going to come here and study while I'm reloading, mm-hmm. sir. Yeah. But no, that is, you know what's uh, this range map. If you kind of look at it, look at the uh, Pitchiophis range map. A lot mm-hmm. of these similar things happen, especially oh, yeah. with uh, uh, pine snakes. Uh, mm-hmm. You have a lot more in the southern and more coastal areas, and then we have that break. And then now we've got them in Virginia, uh, New Jersey. I don't know where New Jersey is because I'm ignorant, <laughs> but it's somewhere up there. Somewhere up uh, here, it's up in there, right off the yeah. eastern part of Pennsylvania. Yeah, uh, that's you get, southern you get part. north of Texas, and I just hate you. Yeah, there you go. Texas is its own universe. <laughs> it is. Uh, it is. So, but no, that's it in a nutshell. And then, well, I guess that's not entirely certain. So, phenotypically, what's cool is 
Slowinski eye do look like you took a corn snake and a typical Great Plains rat snake and just smashed them together. In yeah. some of those papers, what was cool is there was actually a little bit more genes from corn snake than Great Plains rat snake and Slowinski eye, showing that there was there's there's definitely. But they but the hypothesis is that that's a recent integration because Slowinski eye is it might be the the newest kid on the it's either the newest kid on the block or it's ancestral to everybody else. And I yeah. think that's kind of kind of badass. Yeah, so they're, of really, them all, they're really interesting. It's it's probably my favorite of the group, to be honest with you. I really sad times like it. You know what I'm saying? Sad times. Yes. But yes. But very close second, believe it or not, is the Milamore. I, I did not because they're wonderful. Yeah. I didn't even know that damn snake existed until like five years ago. And then when you offered up the pair to me, um my favorite thing about them is that they're giant demonic monsters. They're like massive. They are not small. They're huge. <laughs> and they like chicken eggs. So mm -hmm. So I could hit my experience and I could talk about – so I, I look at this from a uh, – I'm a visual, I'm a feel, I'm a breeding kind of guy because uh, I'm not – I don't have any of the genetic scientist background. So for me, the big difference is in, in, in these these four different – and we're going to say four because we're going to – inner Montanus is going to be its own thing. But you have Slowinskii, which are a little bit more slender, uh, a little bit longer head sometimes, a little bit uh, sharper nose that can happen. Mm -hmm. Uh, snake that has these kind of burnt umber mahogany. Uh, it very yes. has that fall feel to it. Uh, they look like they live in pine needles, right? If you told me that animal lived in pine needles, I'd be like, yeah, yeah, that's like that's where yeah. that lives. That's where uh, that is. And then, and then you go uh, west and you hit emery eye. So emery eye is very diverse as far as their habitat, right? Like emery eye can live in pretty much uh, suburban areas uh, under tin. Um, you know. Go west. They live in the mountains, in the rocks. They, you, you go out looking for snakes at night in West Texas, and you, you're going to find emery eye. Uh, you find something with a lot of very light base color, a very green saddle color. Yes. Um, a much heavier bodied snake, but not longer than a Slowinski. Yeah, you know, they're both going to be about three to four feet. Um, and, and they don't go through an ontogenic, cha ontogenetic change, excuse me, mm -hmm. uh, like a lot of the what we would say the gutatus complex does, right? So, you know, you take a baby corn snake and then you look at the adult corn snake that produced it and you're like, holy cow, where, where are all the, where, where's all the red? Where's all the yellow, mm -hmm. right? Where, where are the, uh, you know, I don't know the scientific names for those, but we're just, you know, red and yellow. We're good. Red where, and yellow. Where are they, right? Uh, mm -hmm. And then you go and look at a uh, emery eye in the West. And now there are some, 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 color palette differences from an adult to a baby. There are some pattern differences from an adult to a baby, uh, but you just don't, it doesn't change a lot as it ages. Uh, you know, there's, that kind of seems to be a trend in the West. You have a lot of oh, snakes yeah. that hatch, especially in montane areas that look kind of similar as adults. Now, do they change? Yes, of course they do. Uh, the melanin comes in as they get older. Uh, the, the, the chromatophores that generate the colors in their scales definitely change. Uh, their patterns definitely express themselves, right? Like you won't see all the speckling. You won't see all the netting in the scales. You won't see all of the diversity in, 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 in the pattern. But then you go down to Mealmorum, <laughs> yeah. which is this r ridiculous animal that mm -hmm. is, you know, we find them six foot long all the time. Uh, they can eat probably a colossal rat, but you know what? We feed them small rats, medium rats. They get huge. Uh, 
they will breed at an extremely small size, which is really weird really? about the meal morum cob. Like yeah, they'll, they'll they'll breed at three years, kind of regardless of their size. They're four foot long; they'll give you eggs. It might be three, might be four, but you'll get eggs out of them. And then look look at your Lewinsky eye, look at your Emory eye, and you'll have clutches of eight, ten, twelve, fourteen, kind of normally, and they're kind of corn snake egg size. Yes. And then you get your meal morum and you breed them, and you have chicken eggs. No, <laughs> chicken eggs, it's giant babies, enormous and, and, babies. And then as, as your <laughs> enormous babies, as your brumation cycle goes, uh, in my experience, they breed late. I think in Justin's experience, they also bred late. They, they bred uh, late for me. <laughs> all of the, the yep. South, South Texas stuff that I deal with tends to breed late and have massive eggs. Uh, I had Clayburg bulls mm-hmm. last year that bred for me that were six and a half foot long. The big around is my wrist. And they gave me six eggs that were you know, oh <laughs> almost as big as a black pine egg. Black pines are just mm-hmm. unrealistic animals with their eggs. but uh, And the female didn't even look like she laid eggs. And this mm-hmm. year, I think she laid 13 eggs. I got a buddy that has her. She's well over six and a half foot long. Uh, I, I had to, a, a good local buddy of mine has those because I, it turns out feeding Pitchofus this year uh, was a financial burden. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes, it was. So, yeah, eight, 18, <laughs> 20 adult Pitchofus will literally eat you out of house and home. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, she, she laid this year. Uh, I'm getting a little bit, uh, a few of the babies out of that clutch, but you're talking about massive babies out of these meal morum, right? Yep. Uh, they're 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 ten times the size of a corn snake. Not really. Let's let's be actually accurate. Four times the size. Of Probably a corn four. Snake. Four times. Yeah. See here, that's what's interesting is I have zero context of how massive they are because I thought my female was like a decent size. The one yeah. that Chris sent me. No. And I and I bred her, and I got a a perfect clutch of five, and then I just sent that male and female to Ryan Dumas. Yeah, oh, and nice. he was amazed that that female laid. He's like, "This female's half the size of my female." Yeah, because they breed. And so so I'm small. like, to me, I'm like, it's it's an adult corn snake size animal. I didn't think anything of it. I was like, let's give it a shot. Didn't think they went, wrote them off. Like they yeah. nothing ever happened. Whatever. She has a, a shed. I go and look, and I'm like, "You're gravity as shit." Yeah. And so then mm-hmm. I, you know, they had a a human hide in there because I've been I've been making a concerted effort to to add those to pretty much all the tubs and stuff that things are in just because i do notice they they tend to hang out in them a lot yeah um and yeah i mean she laid and it was the same thing like she you wouldn't have thought she laid a clutch like nope perfect body yeah. tone no issues whatsoever South know, and all the animals do not they do not get that tube of toothpaste look when they lay eggs they look perfect right and, and i'm thinking that's just because i mean i live here i, I, fi- I literally mm-hmm. find them in my backyard i was on the phone on a on a video call yeah. <laughs> with the uh with the sluts if you know you know uh, <laughs> and, and there was like four or five of us i literally pulled over got off my phone got it back the on mail it. wasn't it it was the mail that i caught that i sent to justin no <laughs> that was a really cool little aberrant uh mm-hmm. thorn scrub and mm-hmm. he proved out aberrant the mail that justin hatched out is aberrant oh nice uh, yeah, but yeah, I it's was literally on the phone and I was like, like holding aberrant, a... just like uniformly aberrant yeah. in a weird way. It's got like these little jawbones. It has, it has saddles, like yeah. H. Yeah, it has like H's. Ah, cool. Like cool, cool, cool. Just, cool. Odd. I don't know. But it's there. There we find them in the middle of the day. We find them in the middle of the night. We we you know find them at <laughs> all temperatures. Uh, you find them in the winter. Uh, you know we find obviously here we find atrox at thirty degrees, uh, laid out flat on the roads and mm-hmm. stuff. 
which is uh, another interesting thing that I have to note is how similar pattern wise at first glance they look like Aatrox because they have that facial band in the front. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And when if I saw that walking when they around, narrow down their head. Yep. If I saw that yeah. walking around and at first glance scanned over it and then said, I just saw an Aatrox and then did a yep. double take and noticed that it was, I totally would have would have thought that that was yeah. like there's a lot of no. really solid mimicry going on there. My my friend Kim who lives up in Buffalo, New York. Uh, I sent her a, a little uh, thorn strobe that I found in the parking lot of a Jason's Deli in the middle of the city, right? <laughs> just It was just there, right? Like, it was just, it was literally, I was, like, walking, I was like, that looks like a snake. And I was like, that's a snake. And so I went and grabbed it. And like, what do you do when you find a snake? You're just like, yay. And then you're like, yeah. I'm going to relocate you to my collection. And then now I'm going to feed you. And now I'm going to send you to somebody else. Um, but, okay, so so we're talking about Mila Morim. Melamorum, out of all of these, uh, the Emory complex go through the biggest ontogenetic change uh, because as babies, they have a very light ground color, very dark saddles. But then as they age, they start getting these new kind of nuanced stripes on them uh, yeah. along, along the dorsal, which is really weird because it's kind of faint. But if you ever take a Melamorum shed and hold it up to light, you'll look. You won't necessarily see the saddles, but you'll see the stripes. So it's, oh, kind, cool. of a, it's kind of a neat thing that I've noticed with them. Uh, they're... To me, Milmorum are, are my favorite in the, in the complex. One, because they're my backyard heroes, mm-hmm. but also just because how tough they have to be to live here. I've had plenty of Christmases at 85 degrees. I've had plenty of Christmases at two degrees. Uh, you know, South Texas corpse in particular, hurricanes, right? Like, we eat up hurricanes like they're Skittles. Like, we're, we're, <laughs> we're number two to Florida to get just mm-hmm. railed by, by hurricanes. Yeah. And it's like these animals, Aatrox, uh, checkered garter snakes, um, Splendida, uh, Bear Melamorum. <laughs> well, Bear and I aren't this far uh, west, but but see, in general, have been general, there, uh, boy. Can't get them in there. That's tough. That's a tough. Yeah. It's a tough Lintemerai. place to live. Look at how Lintemerai do mm-hmm. here, right? Like they're, but also Lintemerai do not similar size snake, similar shitty attitude. Do not interbreed with thornstrokes. No. We'll find them on the same road. Not that we road cruise because it's illegal in Texas would never do that, but you'll, you'll find them in the same pasture under the same tin. You'll find them cohabbing, right? They'll, they'll, they'll be under the same piece of tin because that's the prime spot where heat was perfect for them to metabolize, and they do not interbreed at all. Uh, where is Fort – is it Fort Hood? Is that in Texas? Fort Hood. Why My brain uh, – Fort Stockton is in Texas. Uh, Fort Hood, I thought, thought it was in – Florida. Could be wrong. Am I dumb? I'm also dumb. No, so, I'm pretty it, sure Fort Hood is in, is in Texas. I just don't remember where. Uh, yeah, Fort Hood in Texas. I'm looking at it right here. Uh, Bell and Coriel counties. I'm looking Bering at it on a map. Oh, it's up in Colleen. And, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. So that, yeah. that's much more north of here. Much yeah, north of St- Yeah. They did a study there where they put transmitters in these snakes. And they, they, they were Way actually north, studying... Yeah. Texas rat snakes, and I guess it would have been MRI up there. But they, they found that the snakes were um, – that the MRI were much more opportunistic than the Texas rat snakes. Texas rat snakes were, like, dialed into one habitat that yeah, they were yeah, just yeah. using. The MRI would just go wherever the hell. Like, yeah. if, if there were – the rodents are over there, we're going over there. And yeah. if they're over here, they're going over here. And that's kind of why MRI, I think, has the distribution that it does the sure. species. Is it just – because when I collected them in Kansas, that's the only place that I've actually field collected any of these guys. 
I don't have a Slowinski Iowa or a Milamorum yet on my field um, list or life list. But uh, I thought it was really cool because I did that whirlwind tour of Kansas around this time last year to find Western hognose snakes, which we did not find. We found every <laughs> other freaking snake but, but them. But the MRI, we found them in like – I found them road cruising in High Prairie. I found them in um, underneath these really cool chalk boulders near Hayes. Yeah. We found them on the road during the day, at night, like just like you were saying. They were just kind of there. And what we didn't find, which I thought was really cool, even though they were around, were, the norm, were, were rat snakes. So mm-hmm. um, whatever the hell. Obsolete complex, yeah. Would be. Yes. So, yeah, it's kind of neat. Because over here where I'm at, you just find black rat snakes. That's it. Just everywhere. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Because black rat snakes are just bulletproof, just mm-hmm. amazing animals. Uh, you know, Neil Morham also kind of, Let's say you find an Emory Eye in West Texas, or even not even West Texas, you just go, I'm sorry, West of here. Uh, <laughs> you start finding Emory Eye. They usually have a very calm disposition. They're usually, you know, I'm a snake. I'm a rat snake. Let's do this. Uh, I've never found a Solinsky Eye. I know a few people that have. Um, they're always smaller, which is weird yes. because in, in captive collections, they get the same size as Emory Eye, but they're usually just a smaller snake. Uh, Mil Morum. Man, you're gonna bleed every time, and it's it's so funny because all the I have I have wild caught millimorums, I have F1 millimorums, I have F3 millimorums, I have I have a ton of millimorum in my collection. Uh, that doesn't go away. Oh no, it does. None of mine are. <laughs> I, I could I could have my wild caught. Uh, I have a really neat aberrant McMullen uh, male and a female that was found same night, same same uh, area, and uh, John found them, and I've had them for. I guess two or three years. I'm going to be breeding them next year. And they're like the calmest snakes on the planet. They're so chill. <laughs> that's not my and Yeah, that's not my experience mm-hmm. either. But. I I don't know. I may just keep my collection colder than everybody else. I don't know what it is. But like even my Pitchiophis. Now my Black Pines, look, if you got yeah, Black they're, Pines, they're just, they're, they're just built. The black. They're, black they're, they're built a certain way. Uh, they're They're not. You can hold them. You can hold mine, uh, but they're not. They're not happy. They're not. No, they're not happy ever. Yeah, they're just not happy. <laughs> they're uh, grumpy old men, man. They're, yeah. they're my. I, I actually love them. Um, yeah. Oh, I love. I love. Uh, them. On that same token, I know it's not MRI, but I thanks to you, Chris, when I hatched out what I thought were. I can't say this. Lahita. Lahitas. 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 It's like lahitas, but it's lahitas. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Lahitas go for snakes. Yeah, sure. And then you were like, oh, that's a fork. So I was like, wait, yeah. what? And then I went so, down a, a deep rabbit hole with that and immediately bought super forks yeah. and all that. Sure. Those things, man. They're demons. They, I have them in, in vivs in the garage. They're yeah. the only snakes I've ever owned that they come out of their hides to bite the glass. <laughs> Yeah, and then they come back, and they like they just like, oh, and then they go back in. Yeah, it's that's crazy. My my son hates them. Yeah, every so in, day he cleans them out, <laughs> and he's like, these things are gonna eat my face, Dad. I'm like, oh yeah, my god, and you have to clean them okay. every day. Mm-hmm. Yes, <laughs> you have to clean them. They spray, spray shit. shit. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. So they're so they're the, perfect for me. <laughs> we'll we'll use this as little. So Brewster County is very large. Uh, Brewster County is kind of the the other side of the armpit of Texas. Uh, that's all the. Uh, east coast of big bend uh and it goes all the way down to lajitas and the river road and it goes all the way up to marathon and it kind of cuts at marathon um but uh joseph forks who's an avid herper long time pitch office uh and and 
has bred many awesome alterna and stuff. Uh, he found that some of these snakes genetically, if bred together, had an actual super form. And that's where the Forks gene, we call it the Forks gene because he's the one that figured it out. And I sent yep. you the website. Uh, oh, yeah. And then, and then the super forks, which is a essentially patternless animal. We can call it mm-hmm. a patternless animal. Um, it's also, if you breed a super forks to a normal uh, gopher, you'll get a kind of uh, diversity of intermediate forks genetics, uh, different phenotypes, sure. Uh, and uh, it was kind of funny when he, it's not kind of funny, it's very interesting. He figured that out. And then people were like, wait, so if I take this funky looking one from down here in the Christmas mountains or this funky looking one from Lajitas and I breed it to another one, I'm going to get patternless animals. And they literally did it and they proved it out as this, these genetics are in the wild. But as far as I know, there's never been a super form found in the wild. They have found in the wild some that have, so we call it, you know, we find them in the wild and they have that kind of funky speckling and patterning. We call them the forks gene and it acts kind of like the ultra granite in, Mexmex, where it's is it co-dominant is it is it incomplete dominant is it any of that or is it just a line bred trait right so if i take two forks gene gophers and bring them together maybe i don't get any super forks but i get some that are closer uh but maybe i do get super forks and then i get totally normal animals so I, and again i am not a I, uh, they don't it doesn't work on the same spectrum of mandalian genetics as simple recessive does and kind of yeah. anything that starts clicking outside of the dominant co-dominant simple recessive kind of gets muddled is this line breeding is this 12 different alleles that have to line up just right to make this happen and it's so much more complex than we kind of take it inherently but regardless uh yeah so you have these lajitas animals which if anybody's looking for a good vacation uh goes go stay at the lajitas resort uh go drink at the thirsty goat pet their Uh, their mayor yeah there's go go pet the mayor who's a goat uh the mayor of lajitas is a goat Um, oh shit Clay Hammond. <laughs> yeah. I didn't uh, know that. You, I got to pet him. I yeah. got a picture with him. And then Very there's cool. also the, the, the Prada store, which is a little phone booth size store that says, I think Prada on it. <laughs> and there's nothing in it. And it's just you drive by it going down there. And, and anyways, there's a bunch of tech. I mean, goddamn Texas just the best state there ever was, ever will be. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so that was a long way to say that. Yes. Yeah. The, the, the Pichofa. No, I, I like him a lot. <laughs> go uh sonorans are special anyways back on yeah well, tracking the only mri that i have are brewsters now a lot of people have brewsters but i like yeah, that Bruce county that now granted but it's a huge county yeah so and, and you'll find a lot where, of Bruce county where and, is that in relation to new oasis so new oasis county if i'm leaving new oasis county and i'm going to brewster county it's eight and a half hours oh wow <laughs> so uh so justin you've been there you know, Alpine is kind of in the middle mm-hmm. of the tail. So go to Marathon, and then okay. from Marathon 385, a little bit south is uh, Brewster County. So that'll take you down okay. to Black Gap. So everything from Black Gap. See, we Bruce didn't County go out to Black Gap when we were there because we just it would have it was already like 11 o'clock at night, and it would we wouldn't have gotten there until like 2 a.m. or something crazy. Yeah. Like that, so. But the cool thing is, when you get there at 2 a.m., it's still 90 degrees. And, it's and Stone, weird. Stone was thinking about it. Stone yeah. was like, yeah, Stone was pondering it. Yep. He yeah. Was like, well, he's like, we, we can do it. We can be there by midnight. Yeah. yeah. Like, and it's, can, it's so weird. It. I, I, I've been, I've been up in uh, the, the Olympia Canyon, uh, actually up in Madera Canyon, and it was 60 degrees. Uh, cool. I love it really up there. Cool. Yeah. Dude, 
a bunch of blacktails. Uh, mm-hmm. We saw the lepidus on Observatory Road. Uh, and then we go down to Black App, and it's straight up 90 degrees. Like tar pit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just tar pit all the way down to Lalinda. Nice. And it's, um, you know, we, it's kind of cool because we keep saying all of these like, Observatory Road, Juno Road. Well, Juno Road's much more uh, east, but but you know River Road, Christmas Mountains, and it's like people are like, oh yeah, I've heard that locality. I've heard that locality. It turns out Go these there. are really great herping spots. Yes. If you want to spend night after night after night after night looking at nothing. Uh, <laughs> but well, that sounds like that. That yeah, I've done a lot of that herping here in Appalachia. That's kind of the way it works. Yeah. Uh, we don't have tons of. You have to work to get snakes yeah. here in West Virginia. Uh, you know, um, Nueces County, here where we're at, Nueces County, McMullen County, obviously, we, we do a lot of herping here. Uh, you find a lot of snakes, a lot of atrox, a lot of garters, occasionally mealmorum. Uh, there's there's a couple other species that are a little more, but, you know, people are like, oh, man, those McMullen annulata are just amazing. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, I, I found a, 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 you know, me and John, excuse me, I was with John, uh, found an annulata McMullen last year. It's also like the only one that was found between us two having gone there for many nights it's a it's it's a it's a rarity to find a lot of these animals and then and then you start thinking about alterna in west texas uh and, subox and yeah. subox well subox on black app are are kind of like uh snickers bars on halloween night right really like, yeah you're probably gonna find a subox on black app it's probably gonna happen that's interesting uh, what about emberi though are they relatively common if you're out in that part of the world they are. Uh, they're way less common south. So the okay. more north you go, uh, if you're in West Texas, and let's say you're herping in Alpine, and you're going to want Alpine and then north, you're going to find them a lot more in the kind of Olympia Canyon area, uh, Marathon, the 385. You know, everybody knows about the Brewster County split in, in Marathon. A uh, lot, lot, lot of Emory Eye in that area. I say a lot. Does, we, say, we, say, we say words like a lot with herping. And it's like, it's much more common than a lot of the other things that you find, (laughs) Um, you know, but the night that you find a Tantilla, uh, you know, a a black headed Rio Grande, uh, oh man, I'm forgetting on the common name, but, uh, uh, you know, you're probably going to find two Emory Eye. The the night that I found an Alterna, um, I think we found two or three Emory Eye, right? Like there's, if snakes are moving, you're going to find the much more common species because they're so much more diverse, right? They're, they're so much more, there's almost a comfort to the animal. Like it knows mm-hmm. that I can get out of my little crack and I can go across the street and maybe I sleep in a hollow of a, of a tree or a log or something. So, so have you found them when you're like shining a cut or is it more on the road? Personally, me, I've never found one shining a cut, but I know they're found all the time shining cuts. Um, gotcha. Definitely have never found one while driving on the road. But if I was driving on the road, I feel like I would find them more often. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know? Now, the first one, the one I found, the first one I found in Kansas, um, I flipped it. I flipped it. We, were, we had just gotten up around Hayes. Yeah. And that's where it's Hayes, Kansas is just a badass place to hurt because there's these chalk canyons. Literally chalk. It was like the bottom yeah. of the ocean in the Cretaceous. So, you know, and. Uh, the, the big chalk boulders fall down and then you flip them. And I was like, Oh my God, thank you, Christ Hills. Because I'm yeah. from West Virginia and have been in the prairie for like four days. Um, and immediately looked at a rock. I was like, there's a snake under that rock. And I took my student Aaron over and I was like, we're, we're going to flip it and we're going to catch it. And when I flipped it, the first thing I thought of when I saw it was it's an Eastern milk. Like that's what, nice. yeah. that's what MRI yeah. looked like to me. And mm-hmm. like yeah. that face, gl- face glance. And then it was like, Oh wait, 
this is definitely not a milk. And then I got, you know, super jazz because that was one of my targets. Yeah. So, uh, there's yeah, a, man, uh, after like, you talked about Kansas and going there though, like it, it really does. Uh, like that's not a state that a lot of people I think would associate. Oh, uh, no. I would love like to way more going Kansas on. Kansas is worth really going. Like, I heard no. Kansas and Nebraska are like pretty, mm -hmm. pretty awesome. I'd love, the thing I'd love that's to go cool over Kansas. about Herp in Kansas is that it's the only place I've been that you road cruise during the day. You don't road okay. cruise at night. So you like you get up and you just start driving and you and uh the snakes start getting active right around 74 degrees. And then they'll okay. and, and and it gets to be 74 when we were there. I don't know if this is normal, by like 9 30, 10 o'clock in the morning, and then you'd start now granted. I'm a cheap date when it comes to road cruising because I like <laughs> nature scenes. So yeah. You know, red-sided garter snakes, ribbon snakes, Nerodia. I'm just as jazzed about those guys as I am. Oh, yeah. A pit viper or whatever. Um, but it, it was, like, relatively constant all day. Bull snakes. Uh, we didn't see Chances all the MRI we saw cool. were actually, now that I think about it, at night. They were not during the day if we saw them. Um, coach whips. Th those were mm. a blast. Yellow racers. Um, uh, so, But that's all during the day. And then evening hits. And there's like a change, and and that's when the um, <laughs> the uh, viridis show up, the the uh, prairie rattlers. Oh which, yeah, those are cool. Yeah. Those are badass. And then which, uh, in southern Kansas, we got on um, massasagas, which was like nice. extremely badass. Is actually uh, pronounced so, Massasawa. Uh, Massasawa. It's a Massasawa. I, I don't know that for a fact. I'm, I'm a. Well, I like that better. It's it's a little fancier. So. I've always been told it's Massasawa. <laughs> That makes uh, more sense. We, we shouldn't So anyway, but no, I, I found more snakes in that week uh, than any other trip I've ever done in my life. And, That's and, badass. Uh, Gentilis. So like the thing that was crazy, Great Plains milks, is that you're driving yeah. like around Hayes, you're just driving. And there's freaking cuts everywhere. And um, Alex Schmacht was with me. He's a oh, nice. nerd. Yeah. And he. I'm talking uh, about Boyga. Yes. Al well, he has. The boy guy made I gave to Alex, so there mm -hmm. you go. Um, but Al Alec was from Colorado, and, and he was like, "Hey, we need to stop and hit these cuts." And I, I, we don't do cuts in Appalachia; uh, it's a good way to die. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> they're much taller. explain that real <laughs> yeah. quick. Just so they're, they're much taller, and they're not okay. natural. So, oh, okay. our, well, rock our cuts aren't either. Well, yeah, but our rocks are like they're not. We have rolling, gentle hills. We don't have canyon oh, walls. Okay. So you flip something at the bottom of the hill, and then the shit above you comes raining down on top of you. Oh no! Uh, yeah, it's not fun. Uh, so I was like, okay, and and like I think that we got out in the first cut that we hit. He had a, a Great Plains milk in like ten minutes flat. It was it was, and that and I don't normally get to see tri. I mean, it's not a true tricolor milk, but it's pretty damn close. Mm -hmm. um, so, They're pretty badass. Yeah. Yeah. And and then we found another one. And then we found another one. And then legless <laughs> lizards were freaking everywhere. I mean, it was just nice. The only thing we did not find, I'm not bitter at all, is that goddamn Western hognose snake. And then we left. And within 24 hours, our, our, our guide was like, yeah, the herpers got two. I was like, all right, cool. That's fan-freaking-tastic. See, so. what's interesting on hognose, and now mm -hmm. I've never found one in West Texas, because most of what I've done in West Texas is look for Alterna. Um, I'm pretty keyed in. Like, I'm going at specific mm -hmm. times to specific places. Um, but I have heard that on certain roads, um, specifically one road in particular in West Texas, you can cruise very early 
in the night. But the sun's still up, and that's where you find your Kenlerai. Yep. Um, and a lot of them are found in Brewster County. Uh, in fact, I had a pair of Brewster, or a trio of Brewster counties that I bought um, that were from Wild F ones, and I, I sent them to uh, Ryan Cox, and he actually bred them the year after I sent them to him. Um, and I think his babies were doing all right. Um, I bought mine out of the egg, and I got to experience the whole. I love, I love buying stuff that doesn't want to eat out of the egg. Yes, I, I like the I like the complexity of it. There's a. I don't like that at all. <laughs> there's I don't. There's no part of me that likes that, Chris. I don't know what it is about <laughs> trouble feeders that I like. Mm-hmm. It's almost like I want to un 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 Rubik's cube you. And me and John talk mm-hmm. about this all the time because John John's like, "You're an idiot. You're actually dumb." Like. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm like, I don't know why. And maybe it's because I haven't no. read them for many, many years. I've only got a couple years into breeding Alterna and stuff. Um, but I, 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 I love trying to figure out the idiosyncrasy of that particular animal because they're all different. Uh, yeah. But the Brewster County animals I sent to Ryan Cox, uh, Brad, and I don't know. I don't. I, you know, I need to check back on with him. Uh, I, I, I think this is babies. small world time because I'm pretty. Yeah. If that's the trio he just bred, yeah, is that it? Yeah, I just bought those. Those are coming here. No. <laughs> okay, there you well, go. I have I have the full lineage on those animals and cool. uh, where they were uh, the mm-hmm. parents were caught. Uh, those actually originated from uh, Joseph Forks. Uh, oh, cool! Small world again. Yeah. Uh, I got those babies from him right out of the egg, um, and they're tiny. So funny. Mexican hogs yeah. are little. No, they're uh, actually my target for next year. Is is for the book. Uh, I, I gave up. All, well, I can't have platy rhinos, which is the easterns. Yeah, and then I actually did pull the trigger on Simis, which are insanely expensive, and then they were doing great, and then they died, and then I cried a lot, and I was like, "Okay, I'm done." But I've have got, you not I ever are... found an Eastern? Well, oh, I found Easterns. Okay, because oh, Easterns. we get Easterns here in, in Nueces. Yes, on the that East. was was supposed yeah. to be my master's thesis, and we didn't find any, and it, it yeah, no, well, well, that's a story for another day. But uh, no, I've got Easterns, the only one of the genus that I've found in the wild, but that is going to change next year. So do you do you need easterns? What? No. Like you, we, okay. I can't keep an easterns because of the West Virginia rules. Okay. Um, Probably not a bad rule to yeah. have native snakes and stuff. I, I'm not yeah. one of those people so, that completely hates it. Well, if, if I wasn't allowed to have Texas snakes, I'd be a very <laughs> sad, sad young man. Yes. But uh, I'm, I'm fine with the Nasticus, and I have I already had a what, geez, I had 2.2 Mexicans that I, I have, like, battled with. And, and got into adulthood, and then I picked yeah. up a couple ladies this year as well to add to my group. And then Ryan asked me if I wanted yeah. those, and I was like, "Yes, I will. I will purchase those from you, sir." So, well, I have I'll nice have to give now. Ryan a little bit of a hard time, but I'm glad that they're in go. good hands. Uh, yeah, yeah. Those, those little snakes. I've I've still got my little feeding techniques. Uh, this, yeah, I was, next thing we're going to talk about is going to be uh, Emory eye morphs. Um, <laughs> I, I sent Justin a couple pictures. Uh, but yeah, the, the fun thing about Mexicans is they're small, they breed early, uh, and, and my little trick to them that did really, really well with my uh, Mexicans was uh, keep them cooler, much cooler. Um, cooler. 78 to 80. Uh, okay. So many things in the West, whether it's Alterna, whether it's Sonoran Gophers, whether it's just anything that's from that area, does not move when it's 110 degrees. Aatrox yeah. do. Uh, you know, Gophers probably do. But uh, now Emory I are different. Emory I are the tanks of the of, of the West. Um your coach whips keep them hotter. Uh, your 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 snakes like that. Your your snakes that can you show an obvious higher amount of metabolism. Uh, but your 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 slower snakes, um, your 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 smaller snakes, keep them cooler. Alternate, keep them cooler. 
you're going to have better success with them. It takes a little bit longer, uh, but they just, they show in leaps and bounds uh, progression when kept at cooler temperatures. My, my, I, I am, Justin Julander said it in the, the Green Tree Python book, uh, cooler, feed them less, uh, yeah. less wet, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Like those three things, less humidity, less food, less, less temperature. Yep. And I truly believe that's true with desert species. That's true with montane species. That's true with high humidity. Anything that lives in an environment that sucks, I don't know what it is, <laughs> but those, those, those things click. Uh, yep. you know, I definitely agree with the less humidity for sure. Yeah. Uh, cause I've noticed that with, um, with the bull snakes that I've kept here, I have a lot of humidity in this house and, yeah. and it's hard to hurt a bull snake. And I was hurting a lot of them. I was like, what the hell is going, this doesn't make any damn sense. Yeah. And then I just added like a shit pot of ventilation to the tubs. Yeah. Um, and as soon as I did that, boom, they were yeah. perfectly back in, in, in great shape and, 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 you know, growing and thriving. And now I've kind of figured them out, but uh, I did See, the same have- thing with McKennerly. I have super humidity, right? Like it's yeah. I'm 500 feet from, from the Oso. Uh, I'm 60%, 65% in my house at all times. So my battle is keeping the humidity down. Mm-hmm. Down, 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 down in my, in my reptile room. And I do that through fans, ventilation, uh, air purifier at max blast. Like you get in that room and it sounds like a tornado is just going off. Uh, <laughs> but, but it's working. Um, there's been species that I have failed with exceptionally well. Right. Like mm-hmm. I have absolutely just shit on Baja rat snakes. I will say yep. that for the rest of my life. I've got $2,000 worth of, about, uh, of uh, Baja rats in my, my freezer right here. Uh, cool ass snakes. Not for me. Subox, yep. not for me. Uh, Nefaris, not for me. Nefaris Initiative, shout out Phil. What's up, dog? There uh, you are. But anyways, back on the Emory <laughs> Complex. Let, let's, I know we're, we're a tangent thing, which is what we do. Uh, so back on the, uh, the Emory Complex, I wanted to kind of dip a little bit into morphs. Yep. And, and I don't know how familiar y'all are with the morphs. Uh, I only know Silverleaf. Now that's yeah, Slinsky. Yeah. And that's so, it. Yeah. So this is all you, man. And I think there's yeah, an albino so, MRI, if I'm not mistaken. There is. There is. Yeah. Uh, so the, the, the MRI complex is really interesting with its morphs. There are morphs that are uh, specifically indicative to each of the uh, sub species. Uh, so, in, 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 and I have pictures of all of these because I've owned all of them. Um, uh, what we're looking at here, so this is an MRI complex, uh, or I'm sorry, MRI, just MRI. I said complex, sorry. Uh, this is a chocolate MRI. Um, so the chocolate morph is kind of interesting because if you look at that, you don't really see a lot of Great Plains rat snake. And it's a pattern morph as well as a color mutation. With this color mutation, we see a lot more uh, iridophores, I think is the correct term. There's a lot more rainbowing going on in the scalation. Uh the, the, the kind of pattern starts getting a lot smaller. And also you have this very brown snake, uh, almost like a melanistic animal, but it's weird. If that was an increased amount of melanin, why would you not have more color in the saddles? It's almost like the base color um, just gets browner. It, it, it kind of, it's kind of interesting. Um, I think that something in this mutation increases uh, erythrin and melanin. Uh, because with that increased red and black, you kind of get that chocolate color, and then you get that very, very rainbow. They're extremely uh, – you, you take them out in the sun, and they look like a rainbow just all over them. It's, it's really neat. Um, so uh, that's a chocolate, and and with chocolates, you also have chocolate albinos. Um, so in, in Emory Eye, we have chocolate, we have albino, 
We have so the albino it, also in MRI is not compatible with the the albino in corn snakes. So if I take an albino uh, MRI and I breed it to an albino corn snake, um, you do not get an albino animal. It's kind of interesting. Uh, it's its own strain of albino, I suppose, uh, when you're hybridizing the two. But what's very interesting was that scaleless actually came from an MRI. Uh, the first wild caught scaleless in that complex was an MRI, immediately bred into corn snakes. And so all of your scaleless corn snakes are actually hybrids. They have some amount of uh, MRI blood in them to hold that gene. Hmm. Um, also found in MRI is there there is an anary gene. Um, and there is also, which is, it's kind of funny, an anary uh, MRI kind of looks like an MRI. Uh, it's, 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 it's kind of one of those like genetic mutations that is never going to take off or ever be anything uh, because it's pretty, pretty damn standard, right? It kind of looks like it looks. Um, and then we also have a hypo that came up probably within the last six or seven years, I believe. Um, most of these were found in central Texas or North Texas. Um, so there's a hypo. Hmm. The hypos are really neat looking. Uh, man, they almost look like a caligaster, right? Uh, hell, I, I oh, guess yeah. the chocolate kind of looks like a caligaster. But the hypo embryi, and I don't have any hypo embryi. Uh, they're, they're very uncommon. Only a couple people really work with them. Uh, but there, there is a hypo gene. It's, and, and, and so all of these genes that we found so far in embryi are uh, simple recessive. They all, they all work nice. with standard Mendelian genetics. Um, and then so the next picture uh, is going to be a thorn scrub. So Justin, that is a Nueces County F3 uh, reverse stripe cool. thorn scrub. And so uh, these were originally bred by Toby Brock. Um, I don't remember who found the original reverse stripe animal, but the reverse stripe that was found in the wild is perfect. It is literally every, every line is connected together. Uh, and it was just, I mean, textbook perfect what you would say as a as a reverse stripe uh animal and that was bred to a uh normal excuse me one second <clears throat> bred back to a normal uh wild caught animal to make f1s and the f1s had some aberrancies and some reverse striping going on and so they've line bred them back to get to this kind of so this like i said an f3 uh toby brock and john lassiter have worked with these guys for many years uh to get an f3 from a wild caught animal is a lot of work. Uh, that's a lot of years. That's, you know, nine plus years to get it there. Uh, and these guys have done all this work to get these beautiful uh, reverse stripe thorn scrubs um, that do a very good job of eating. Uh, they're all very calm and tame, which is kind of neat. Uh, but this particular animal is, is I'm going to be working on, and now I'm going to do a little bit of sacrilege. Up until two years ago, these were all the same species. So my plan is to take these genetics and put it into all the other morphs. Uh, so we have our albinos, our chocolates, and and we're we're going to see what what does this line bred trait do when it starts pairing back to other genetics, and then hopefully we can get an albino uh, reverse stripe and a chocolate reverse stripe. Um, I'd love to get hypos in the mix. We'll see where that goes, uh, and then some anaries because the snows are beautiful. Snow emery. Uh, which is a combination of albino and anary, are, are are just gorgeous, gorgeous animals. They they they're sharp. They're they they have a clean pattern. Uh, Travis Whistler uh, works with them, uh, produces a few every year. Um, but it's something. It's kind of a subsect of morphs in the hobby that's constantly overlooked. I think these snakes are all oh, overlooked, yeah. right? Uh, 
yes, Emory I can be a little bit testier. Uh, they're definitely more robust than corn snakes. Um, they're 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 a little bit more cantankerous. Uh, they have a little bit more personality. But some of those things can also be looked at as benefits, right? You have something with a little bit more uh, action in its life and a little a little bit more uh, attitude to it, which can be good and good and bad, uh, depending on how you look at it. Uh, but see how, so yeah, so this is this is the reverse stripes. Um, if I bred that to a wild caught animal, I would start getting muddling from the first generation, but it does take a series of line breeding to get it to a, a stripe that's as good as this. Um, and there are others out there um, that are better, but what's weird is we constantly find uh, aberrant thorn scrubs, but they're usually more of a jawbone H pattern, which we think may actually be leading towards this uh, because with, even within the last two years, somebody found a perfect stripe uh, McMullen uh, County uh, thorn scrub. Um, so I don't know what happened with that animal. I wasn't involved, didn't know the guy, but he found a, about a five foot adult male. That was just a perfect stripe, uh, reverse stripe. Um, so yeah, it's kind of some of the, the, the more interesting things that some, some of us in, in this little hovel of our hobby are working with. Um, and then, so looking at Slowinski eye, I wish I had some pictures of Slowinski eye. Uh, but so in Slowinski eye, there are also two recessive, uh, traits. So that's going to be silver leaf, which is very, very similar to the Sunkiss mutation, but works very differently. It, it does have a little bit of hypoing to it. It does have a, a little bit of head pattern uh, diffusing to it, but the, uh, the the silver leaf blows out the pattern on the snake. Uh, it, it looks like somebody took a eraser on a dry erase board and just erased the parts of the snake that, anyways, they're they're very variable. Um, and then also in Slowinski Eye, they have their own line of anary. Uh, so we have Slowinski Eye anaries. We have em true emery eye. Uh, well, I say true emery. I guess they're all emery now, uh, how you follow mm -hmm. genetics. But there are uh, emery eye anaries. So it, it, it kind of my camp, we follow the thorn scrubs and emery eye are kind of very similar. And, 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 and you know, if those two are much closer and Slowitzki I are more their own species because they're so much different than the other two. Yeah. Uh, I was a little more acceptive of or accepting, excuse me, of Mil Morum being lumped into Emory eye than I necessarily am about the three being subspecies. I still think Slowinski eye are their own species. Um, if not all three, just being their own species. But then again, I, I have the, uh, I have the genetic intelligence of a feather. Right. So <laughs> I, I don't get to, I don't get to make those decisions. Uh, I'm not the scientist. No. So yeah. Go that? No, or I, I, so with the silver leaf, mm -hmm. I still have yet to actually see that. Like, yeah. so it, it, does it make the saddle pattern just pop? Cause the male I have is, is according to legend het silver leaf. Okay. Um, but it, it has the, the, the normal phenotype because that's what I tend to like. And then the thing that's yeah. really funny about me is I buy all these hets because I'm like, oh, I'm just getting a normal phenotype. Forget that they're yeah. hets. Most people yeah. remember that they're hets. Then I breed them together. I'm like, what the hell is this? And that's how I got albino San Diego gopher snakes this year. That's why you write it down in the book, Dr. Lofman. That's right. So <laughs> anyway, but no, like, so does it, well, what's the origin, do you know the origin of the term silver leaf? Like why they're called no, that? I, I okay. wish I did, and I and I wish there was a little bit more. That's one thing that's kind of rough about the Emory Eye complex. There's a lot of people have been working these with these animals since the 80s, 
right? There's line bread trades. We've got recessive trades. We, we know that these things exist. We know that they exist in hop and collections, but there's just not a lot of, there's not a lot of meat out there for us to cook a steak with. And, gotcha. and that's, that's something I'm actually going to pull up a picture of a uh, silver leaf and send it to Justin. Um, I sent my silver. So I had a silver leaf and a pair of het silver leaves also het anary that I sent to Ryan Cox. So let me get that to y'all now. If y'all want to chitter, sure. chitter chatter while I dig up pictures. I'm trying to figure out how to make this zoom in better. What is that a picture of, Justin? That's that's that one aberrant-ish. Oh. And you see, see how that got reverse better... striping is almost starting? Yeah, that is cool. Move. All of mine are just as normal as normal can be. Here we go. Ah. Yeah, so it's got all these like little H's. That's cool. Oh, very That's super cool. cool. And, and that's because the, the male that, this one has not eaten yet. And this is a male. Have you, do you have a picture of the male I sent you? Uh, I'll have to dig for one. I think so. Let me look. This is bad for podcast air. <laughs> yes. <laughs> look at the video as we dig through these pictures. Um, <clears throat> very much so. I'm, I'm bad about that when we're, when I'm looking for pictures. I should. So yeah, the, the silver the silver leaf mutation is a very very. You know, I, again, I sent mine to Ryan Cox, uh, which I, I hope he has success with them. Uh, they're really, really neat. They have a you know if we akin it back to corn snakes hashtag corn stars. Uh, it has kind of a sun kissed cinder look to it. Interesting. It's bad air, Justin. Yeah. No. What. <laughs> I know locality-wise, when it comes to Slowinski Eye, our good friend Chris Montross has oh yeah, a couple locality-specific animals. I just I have a couple of his growing up right now. Uh, yeah, he's he, he he's worked with a a specific Kasa, parish of Kasahachi uh, or something like that. Yeah, I'm probably uh, butchering that. Sorry, Montross. That's okay. <laughs> it's probably a French word, and we just mm-hmm. don't say French words. Yeah, right? there you go. Um, but he works with a specific parish of uh, Slowinski Eye. They're gorgeous. If you want to yeah. talk about mahoganies, oh mm-hmm. my gosh, they 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 make you sweat with color. And it, it's kind of funny. I, I got rid of my Slowinski Eye, uh, not because I dislike them, but just because I wanted to make sure that what I was focusing on was what I was focusing on, um, which also changes daily uh, because <laughs> I suck at focusing on literally anything. Uh, but I, you know, for me, the Emory Eye Complex. But trying to add to my project of MRI uh, stuff that will be able to mix in, and 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 that's important for me. Um, kind so, of miss those Slovenski eye. <laughs> here's a question: It like there's there's the Captain obvious reason why MRI is not kept that much, or as yeah. frequently as corns, which is their their drab in comparison. Do is is it that, or do they have a reputation that that kind of precedes them i was always kind of told that they could be a little nippy snippy they were kind of like the the corn snakes big bad brother um you know i'm I'm not gonna find these pictures and i feel bad i should have had this prepared but but you're right so i i in my experience i don't think that's true i I don't think it's true true, 
it's sample size, right? Mm-hmm. I, I've had plenty of corn snakes that were nippy and, 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 and gripey and, and aggressive feeders and would come flying out of the tub, just like I've had MRI complex stuff. But now if you came into my collection, I can, you know, am I going to open my Chinese beauties in front of you without a hook? No, I'm not going to do that because I know that species is going to fly out at me. And, and when they bite, they're hungry. Mm-hmm. I, I'm going to do the same with my black pines. My back, black pines, I'm probably not going to open up like a, a, a careless, you know, uh, uh, you know, hairless monkey. Um, but any of my uh, emory eye complex and, and, and gutatus complex stuff, I treat the exact same way. Uh, th- there's this weird human interaction, right? Like we have to add this whole human interaction to them with, with Pitchiophis, fast and deliberate. Those would be my two ways to say to deal with Pitchiophis. If you are fast and deliberate, they will not care, right? Pull open the Pitchiophis tub. You got a nasty gopher snake. Be fast, deliberate. Pick it up. Do your thing. Get it out. Move it to the cleaning tub. Clean out its tub. And it's okay. It, they, they have this whole posturing and this whole attitude. Mm-hmm. They've got this, this 90s wrestler thing to them, right? They've got a... They've got to pump up. They got to, ooh, this is the best you've ever seen, brother. <laughs> and if a Pitchiophis doesn't do that, it's probably not going to bite you, right? Yeah. But with the Gutatis and 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 uh, Emory Eye Complex, oh, that, that's the wild cot that I sent to Justin. That's the one I, that nice. little, little boy I found uh, on the phone with him. Gorgeous, gorgeous thing. But with these these Gutatis uh, Emory Eye Complex animals, if you're slow, and and you kind of let them know that you're not the threat. Not that they have any more beans in their rice than the Pitchopus, mm-hmm. but there's some, there's a little, a little slowness to it. There's a little, there's a little meth- methodology yeah. to it uh, that you, and they're chill. They're fine. Right. Yep. You move slow with them. You, you, you're calm. It, you don't give them any warning signs and it's, and it's okay. Whereas if you don't let Pitchopus get racked up and sauced and, and getting there, they got the <laughs> mic in their hand. If they don't get there, they're just they don't care. They're just like, all right, I'm a snake. I'm gonna be a snake in your hands. Uh, that that one of those pictures Justin just showed was a very good example of that striping that you see yeah. on the uh, on, on on the Emory icon, or specifically the the thorn scrubs. Uh, that, that that kind of deep uh, faded stripe. It's just there, right? It's in the it's in the ground color, and it's neat. But also look at the environment these animals are in. They call them thorn scrubs because they're usually found under thorn bushes, very low. We don't we don't get trees here, right? Like we get palm trees and we get a, you know, very small, <laughs> lots of cactus and, and, and lots yeah. of uh, mesquite trees. You know, we have mesquite trees everywhere here. That's that's we have more mesquite trees here than we have anything else, uh, which is was a low almost. I think it's actually a bush, uh, yep. a, a small a small bush tree, and so that's where you find your thorn scrubs if you find them in the wild. Not you know. Either road cruising or flipping stuff, um, but yeah, it, it's it's it's. I don't think they have more of an attitude than corns. I I bet baby corn snakes are some of the rowdiest little shits on the planet. Uh, you know they're <laughs> they're, 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 they're they're jumpy, they're nippy, they're freaked out. Uh, baby emery, I kind of aren't. And look at the size of these things. <laughs> yeah, that's these literally things. pulling them out of the egg box after yeah, they've, they've they're hatched. massive huge they're absolute tanks huge they're uh that animal was designed to come out of the egg sometime between june and august and live until the next june or august (laughs) you know what i mean 
Uh, oh yeah, no, that that's a, that's an adaptation to basically, you're you're not going into winter, yeah, like without eating. These things are but, are set to go right out of the yeah. egg. They're also set to go cool. into also not winter, right? Like if we yes. have a mm-hmm. El Nino yeah, just year, keep on going. Yeah, th- so this year is La Nina. So this year we're going to have a long winter uh, where it's already starting to cool down. We're already in the low 70s at night, which is crazy for October. Uh, and then in El Nino year, it's going to be 80 until December or <laughs> possibly 80. I mean, literally been in shorts on Christmas. Uh, so mm-hmm. these animals are kind of built to be able to just live through all of it, no matter what. Same thing south of the border. You get south of the Rio Grande, your, your, your temperature swings uh, kind of north of what would be the uh, Nueve Leon uh, range of mountains. Uh, and if you kind of look at their range map, they kind of hug the Nueve Leon mountains and stay uh, east of them, uh, that, that mountain range, uh, which I guess also fades into the Durango mountain range. I'm not mm-hmm. super good with my Mexican topography. Um, look at that beautiful little animal. Look at the anger in those <laughs> eyes. Yeah. <laughs> beautiful. That's a, that's just a, they're, they're gorgeous. And, and now they lose all of that dark coloring kind of hypos out as it gets older to use a, use a layman's term with it. Uh, you start to get those greens in the saddles. You start to get that that kind of faded brown in the saddles. Um, you get that, you know, the, a lot of the striping goes away. It starts to kind of fade away into a speckling. It kind of becomes a, a, a side subject of the uh, of the uh, ground color, which is kind of the opposite of corn snakes, which is kind of interesting. Corn snakes kind of color up, whereas the emery complex kind of fades out. As fades it out. Yep. Yeah. yeah, this is that aberrant one again. Very cool. Somebody needs to take that male and one of your females and keep them and breed those two together and have an entire project based off of it because those are county specific. Uh, that's its own thing. <laughs> that right there. That is a there you go, Justin. trait. It's it's a proven trait through breeding. We took a male that was aberrant. We bred him to a wildcat female that was found on the other side of the city. And we bred him together. And first generation, we get a male with that patterning. So does that mean that every male is going to hold those genetics and have that patterning? Or is, are we going to get F1s that are even crazier? Or sorry, F2s that are even crazier? The most exciting thing is when you breed F1 to F1, right? What are you going to get? So I think that's a whole a whole project in itself. Yeah. They just, man, like when they go for you, though, they do it with such, <laughs> such anger and hatred. Just purpose. Yeah. They're very like, deliberate animals. They're, yeah. they're, they're swinging for the fences. Yeah. Whether they hit the ball or not, they're they're going all out for it. So as far Babies as are no exception. So breeding on the Emory I complex, uh, did you you guys uh, have both bred corn snakes, uh, both bred uh, thorn scrubs? Uh, I think we'll probably see more similarities to corn snakes in Slowinski eye and Emory eye, but with the Mealmorum, what what did you guys see that was different in y'all's uh, uh, breeding? What I noticed was it Mealmorum. was. We already talked about it. It was how late they were. Um, yeah. And the thing that was really weird is that I'm pretty positive, because I thought it was funny, that I, I picked up, I didn't think that mine went. I cooled them. I did the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And then I, 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 I don't even remember the hell it was. It was late June, July. And I yeah. was pulling them out to do the clean, do a complete overhaul in the tub. And then I picked up that. My, my female's kind of big. She's not monstrous, but she's definitely four and a half, five feet. Yeah. She's in that range. Good size animal. Yeah. And I, you know, picked her up with the hook and then that dangle between tail and hook. I was like, Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. There are definitely eggs there. 
Yeah, it was, it was obvious when when mine yeah. was gravid. It was very mm -hmm. apparent that she was like there was no mistake in it. Yeah, but mine hatched. Mine laid within two days of yours in South Carolina, which I thought was yep. really weird. Mm -hmm. And mine hatched within two days of yours in South Carolina, which yep. I thought was really weird. I think it was a total of 62 days, I think, was yes. the final tally on mine. No, it was and like, I, bam, bam. And yeah. <laughs> and th and those, those animals are separated by... A hundred miles? Maybe 80 miles? Mm -hmm. Of each other, uh, but it's but it's you know I, I you know I sent y'all both y'all's pairs. Uh, John Lasser actually collected Justin's female and Doctor Lofton's male, uh, and so I had the, the the male for Justin and the female for Doctor Lofton. Uh, in fact, the female that I collected for Doctor Lofton, uh, the night that we found her, we were in our uh, beautiful little spot in McMullen County, and that was John's brand new car that we were driving around in and i bled all over it <laughs> because she was she was not happy to be in my no. hands so she still uh, bites just so you know yes yes they they, they you know and i have wild caught mcmullen animals and they're i could go get one right now and put it around my neck mm -hmm. it's just but it's yeah, you know man. i also got those as babies or i found them mm -hmm. as, as no I, I did not find them john found them uh we they were collected as small animals yearlings and they're very years of kind of conditioning but then again yours y'all's have had years of conditioning in the wild uh yes. which they come is, from the school of hard knocks yeah they come from the school of hard mm -hmm. knocks and there's a little bit of attitude i would i would almost guarantee you that if you raised up your babies you're going to get a much more corn snake like animal right i, I think the so attitude... far that's that's not the case <laughs> no. but well, i've got corn very... snakes that'll lose their mind my neonates are but are bitey but i'm i'm going to keep at least a trio from them i haven't that's... even really looked at them i mean i, I feed them and everything yeah. I haven't gone through them yet. The way that I set up all my baby colubrids is that they just all go into one tub. Uh, and then I drop a pile of pinkies in there with them all together because I'm, I'm of the opinion that competition makes them eat. Okay. Uh, in this whole isolating them bullshit, yeah. I think it stresses them out and all that kind of crap. But I've we had a, I've had just really good luck at my house and at the school yeah. where we separate everybody out to keep data it's, yeah, it's like a nightmare yeah. to get them started. But the um, the thorn scrubs were funny because I, I pull open their top, they're all in there, and they're like all immediately like re like looking right at me. Yeah. Um, and I'm moving in to drop their first batch of pinkies, and it's just like freaking Medusa's head, just like bam, 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 bam. like they're all just trying to, to yeah. bite me. And I drop the pinkies, and I come back like every half hour. All of them, I don't know, some of them I've eaten twice, but every pinky gone in half yeah. an hour at first feeding yeah. jesus god these things are easy like this is yeah. nice <laughs> i've had all of mine i've eaten so far except for that one aberrant aberrant except one. for the cool one right yeah no. so so my, my school of thought on raising the neos um is different uh and and, and dr Wolf and i hope you don't take that as me saying I don't that, take any, it, no. any of this first uh, so spice of life man i i i my neos all of my neos for almost every species with the exception of pitchovis are set up a specific way um very deep substrate a a hide that actually goes the full length of the uh the tub again this this goes back to the church of Lassiter kind of yep. school of thought i have a hide on the cool side i have a hide on the hot side i have same, a deep substrate in saint Lassiter we trust <laughs> it's saint Lassiter we trust um <laughs> but i've i've had full success with everything i'm actually 100 percent this year uh, on feedings um 
with, and I do that for corn sticks. I do it for Alterna. Mm-hmm. I do it for Leonis. Um, and I, I, so I individualize every animal and I, and I don't feed anything the day it sheds. I, I, I know I, I heard, uh, uh, Matt most, uh, talk about, I, I feed things before they've even shed and deli cuts stuff. And I'm like, yeah, wow, I've tried. Maybe. every time I've tried that, I've never had something take doesn't matter it's, what species it was. You can almost say that like, man, I know that doesn't work. But then you stop and say, man, that <laughs> guy produces the man. thousands yes. of animals. Well, no, it's Matt doing it. Yeah. And that's like yeah. the hand of God when it comes to yeah. doing there, it. So there's a, <laughs> and that's one thing that I, I truly love about this hobby. We don't get to say anything doesn't mm-hmm. work, right? Because yep. there's a guy that does it, first off, mm-hmm. better than you. And yeah. second off, he does it completely different than you. And it, it, it works out in, in such a, 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 a rotated way that so, so it, it's almost like questioning everything you believe, right? Uh, so for me, me, I isolate. I keep them quiet. I keep my, my hatchlings in a different area. Um, and so I think that once they've got that, so now they're secluded. Now they're hidden. Now they're happy. Now that food item is introduced. I introduce my food items in a specific way, in a specific area. And I got so lucky. And I will assure y'all, I would rather be lucky than good, right? Yeah. I would much rather be lucky than good. And even with Alterna, I've had such I'm – I'm 100% on Alterna for multiple years running. And it's – yes, there is scenting involved. Yes, there is boiling involved. Yes, there's things involved with Alterna that they're not rat snakes. But even with rat snakes, I, I'm, I've, I've got this method. It, it works. But for me, it is individualizing. For me, it is creating hides on sure. cool side and hot side. Uh, deep, deep, deep substrate. All these animals love deep substrate. Um, so no, I, I do easy. the – I do the group thing for like yeah. the first two or three, just to get them going. And then I use that to kind of decide, okay, who's robust. What am I going to do? Not here? Robust. Yeah. Yeah. And then I move them into the individual um, setup. And, and yeah, same deal. I, I kind of love to hear that. In fact, next year I'm going to mm-hmm. maybe take a clutch and try that with that clutch. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's corn snakes or something. Uh, because that's kind of interesting, right? Like, yeah. let, let's let's diversify our. our, our you have uh, to watch them, though. I, I've, that's I've the Nerodia way of, yes. of going about <laughs> the Nerodia, <laughs> Thamnophis, Garter Snake way. Uh, yeah. scene, the Nature Scene way. Pitchophis, though, they're idiots. If you do that, they will eat, eat each other's heads. Like, they're, they're, you, <laughs> the best way to way, feed a, a hatchling Pitchophis <laughs> is to put it in something that has a mouse in it, and then yes. they're going to eat. That's it. Uh, yeah. So I have in, in three, maybe four years running with Pitchophis, they either eat frozen thalad off the rip or they eat a live pinky off the rip. I have never had one yeah. that didn't eat ever, 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 ever from many, many species. I can't wait to hopefully someday hatch vertebralis. I've heard they're a lot tougher. Um, but there you go. yeah. So that's, you know, whatever. We're, we're, deep diving in where we're, we're or sorry we're we're side crossing into pitch office yes. hollow be thy name you know what i yeah. mean uh but what, what one of the neat things with emory eye and, and i haven't actually brought this up but this is something we could talk about with this complex um i cohab almost all my emory eye uh my solinsky eye cohab uh my emory eye in certain pairs i cohab um and so the way you know decide how you want to feed your animals that are cohab uh the biggest thing I could tell somebody that's cohabbing animals, whether it's in a elaborate uh, display cage, which they're, they're going to do great and they're going to excel in, um, or it's a, it's a simple tub, um, is one options. Again, Churchill Lassiter, like give your animals options, give them cold side hides, give them hot side hides, 
give them a bigger tub or enclosure than they need, right? If you're cohabbing, right? Double if you have a you know, twenty gallon aquarium for a for a MRI, you know, say you have a Great Plains Jurassic and you have a twenty gallon aquarium, it's a great size enclosure for something they're gonna have, you know, probably live their life in. Get you a forty gallon, right? Double the size, you know. Uh, and we, we say this kind of a the, the, not everybody keeps everything in aquaria, but there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, get them a black box size. cage. Get them a black box. A three foot by two foot by two foot. I believe they sell those. Uh, radiant heat panel on one side. Maybe you cook it to about 82 degrees. Uh, water UV bowl on the, cool on the side. other. Get a little UV on the other side. Mm-hmm. Get a get a get a water bowl on the, on, on the cool side. Put a uh, shelf in there. A cool side hide. Well, a hot side shelf. hide. Uh, nice deep substrate. And and you can have a pair of you know I I get my trio of Solinsky together. You could keep it's, a pair of corn scrubs very comfortably yeah. in one of the XT fours without a doubt. It, it, what yeah, size is the XT four? Uh, that's the four Justin. by two by two. Oh, that's four by two by put, two. Yeah, that's what I just put the Ackies in, and that is. Yeah. I mean, that's what I have the Jansen I in, and they're yeah. they're doing fine. So I, I think uh, I think a four by two by two uh, this size enclosure. You could do a lot about. with that too, you, just in terms yeah. of like how you have it set up, and yeah. you know, using all that that vertical space between the floor I, and the ceiling. And that's one of the cool things about these animals is you could be as elaborate as you wanted. Um, and it, even with thorn scrubs, which are much larger, would do great in there. And, and you're mm-hmm. in oh, yeah. the cool thing, like, like Dr. Lachlan was talking about earlier, core snakes, core snakes in, in embryo are not that diver, diverged of each other. I don't know if that's a word we're going to call it a word. Divergent yeah. of each other. Yep. Yeah. And, and, and so you're going to see a lot of activity. You're going to see these animals during the day. They're crepuscular. You're going to see them. And that kind of twilight hours, they're, they're they make yeah, it's, great pets. It's funny because I like as soon as I do lights out, usually I I walk back in just to do a double check before bed. Yeah, make sure everyone's in their tubs, <laughs> and uh, all of them, like all the thorn scrubs, all the beards, all the corns, everything's moving. Like yeah. everything, if Every I didn't time. see it at all all day long, as soon as I turn the lights out and come back in, you know, an hour Ooh. half hour later, everything's just out and about. Movie. Yeah, it's it's one of those kind of interesting situations. I go in my room, uh, lights are going down. Uh, you know, the pitchofers are starting to move. The 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 rat snakes are starting to move. The obsolete is starting to move. The embryo is starting to move. Mm-hmm. But guess what's not moving? Alterna. Alterna don't yeah. move when the sun's going down. But if I go in my room at three in the morning and I pop on the lights because I want yeah. to see what <laughs> my dumbass Alternas. are doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I've That's literally funny. had middle of the night. I hear screaming. And I'm like, well, what's happening to my daughter? And I go, and my yeah. kid's asleep. And I'm like, oh, my leeches. And I go They're check the, the, the reptile room, and they're just, you know, one of them su- suplexing the other one off the top ropes. <laughs> and I'll look, and my, my alterna are out, and they're doing their thing. And my alterna's out, and yeah. doing his thing. My leonis are all like, what's going on? Why are the lights on? What the What is this? Uh, Funny. So, yeah, uh, Emory I kind of fall into another, uh, but an interesting group of snakes that you can cohab. And, and, I, and I think people... We talk about cohabbing animals, and everybody has this distaste in their mouth. Oh, you don't put two snakes together because they stress each other out. I've been doing it for a long time. I haven't seen any stress. Yeah. I, I cohab all of mine. Well, not yeah. all of my snakes. I mean, I don't all my cohab Slinsky all of mine either. Yeah, Slinsky and I and the, um, the the thorn scrubs are definitely cohabbing right now. But I like I keep the Jansen on together, and I think they do better cohab than they do individually. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, I couldn't really give an explanation as to why. It just seems to me that they're well, always sort of hanging out together. They're always kind of, you know, utilizing the same sort of space in terms of hides because they have of, multiple hide options. And... A lot of papers coming out right now. Now, I'm not saying that, like, all the snakes need to be together, but... Put like, all your Pit books Vipers, together. 
a lot of pit vipers uh they're showing that there's social dynamics there where the kids definitely stay with mom and then yeah. the moms hang out together uh and then the males will come in not to mate but just to chill um yeah. and garter snakes there, there's been a paper that just came out recently and it, it was picked up by the press so that like Snakes have friends. Well, they don't yeah. have friends, but yeah. uh, they definitely have acquaintances that they like more than other acquaintances. And sure. they're given the chance to hang with these animals over here. And it's not, doesn't have anything to do with genetics. Mm -hmm. I, 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 was, you know, I read those papers and thought, okay, maybe there's something uh, yeah. going yeah. on here. And the garden well, snakes I'm... people have been doing this for literally ever. Like, yes, it's a dawn of time. But yeah. even, you know, I know uh, Riley noticed with his mad hogs. Yes, that they do better together than they do separately. Like they just stay, for whatever reason, they just seem to they they keep better, they keep easier yep. when you have them together. Yeah, I look. I, I grew up in a nine hundred thousand square foot house with me, my mom, my dad, and my sister. Right? We all hate each other. We still hate each other. But in that house, <laughs> we had doors. We had rooms yeah. we could go to. We could close those doors. Right? Mm -hmm. And we could be mad at each other in those rooms. But when it came dinner time and, and mama cooked beef dips and gravy, we were all sitting at the table and, and, and life was good. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to anthropomorphize snakes and say that that's the situation. But it, but goddamn, if I pull up on a V70 and I have two four foot long snakes and a V70, which is a three foot by two foot by uh, eight inch, I believe, tub. And I'm, 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 I'm going to tubs because I, I tub keep and I, I have reasons why I do and how I do that. Uh, and I have options. I have options in that tub. I have multiple heights. I have, uh, a, you know, maybe a large dedicated water bowl, but it's a big water bowl. I have mm -hmm. a way that I feed them, the way that I feed my cohab animals, maybe different than the way other people cohab. Um, nothing but success. My my Everglades rat snakes who bred every year have been together since they were born. Right. My my <laughs> North Carolina uh, uh, corn snakes from also Chris Montross, uh, both of these species, uh, been together since they were born. Right. And they're they're good diversify your 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 keeping whether as simple as it may be do some certain things that you that, that, that are well within your power economically not even a crutch and mm -hmm. give them give them multiple areas and, and snakes like emory eye complex do great and guess what half the time when i go look at them when i'm looking you know bugging them to take pictures because that's what we all do we grab them out and take pictures they're in the exact same place yep. yeah they don't have yep. to be in the exact same place right I've mine, even, mine were cuddled up a lot. Yeah, I've mm -hmm. even done in a, in a V70 two hot side hides, two cool side hides, and a water bowl on the cool side. That's where I choose to put it. And then maybe uh, I'd like to take a uh, paper towel rolls and put it um, perpendicular to what the parallels yeah. of the length would be, right? And guess what? Ninety percent of the time, I open up that tub, and they're in the exact same height. And it's not because that's the optimal place to be because the heat's in the back and the cool's in the front, but they're just there's some level of comfort that gets in there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so that's where they that's their spot and that's, that's where they're yeah. gonna go. And we that's what we see when we do the videography experiments is that they definitely will have preferred hides. Yeah. We, we've gone so far as to literally quite literally watch every second the thing is alive for mm -hmm. days on end. And track it to where it's going, and we find that most snakes would hang out in one part of their enclosure for sixty to seventy percent of the time. And yeah. it, 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 it it was totally random, and it's it. I personally feel it's just like you said. It's that's where that animal wants to be, 
Yeah. And we're never going to really know why, and we can try to science the hell out of it, but it could just literally be, it sure. just likes it here. And that's What do it. you guys use to record that for that length of time? Uh, we use video surveillance. So, like, quite literally a... Um, like a, a CCTV series of can- Yeah, CCTV that goes oh, to gotcha. a DVR. Wow. Yep. And we also use um, Net- Nest back in the day, about, I don't mm-hmm. know, four or five years ago. They would, it would upload to the cloud and you could spend money and, and it would keep like two, three months at a time. Yeah. And so each camera, we can do that for up to four cameras, five cameras. So we would run snakes for two months and then you take those snakes out, let the enclosure sit empty for like a month to get smells out and all that stuff. And then we run another set of snakes through for the whatever month, however long it is. And then it's empty for another month. It takes for freaking ever. Oh, I bet. Uh, nice. But yeah, no. You learn really a lot cool. about how they use a cage, though. I can tell you yeah. that. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> so, it's amazing. All right. No, very cool. That's yeah. That's that's awesome that y'all are doing that. Y'all are y'all are mm-hmm. recording the data, and that's that's wonderful. Um, yeah. So kind of dipping out towards the end of this, we we got to ask the age old question, and this is going to dip back into corn snakes. Uh, you know, I don't know how familiar you are with corn snake morphs. Uh, but what do you what are your okay. so there, there's two there's two corn snake morphs that are always on the uh they're always on the grill people are okay. flipping them left and right they don't know if they want medium rare maybe they want a well done and they just want to mm-hmm. never come to my house uh they don't know if they maybe want a little lemon pepper on their chicken but gotcha scaleless corn snakes and palmetto corn snakes yes these both of these morphs ha- have polarizing polarizing opinions yeah. yes so we want to ask everybody what are your thoughts on a scaleless corn snake? And then maybe we can get into after that a, a palmetto corn snake, or if you want to talk one, vice versa, uh, above that. What, what, are, what are your thoughts? I, I can on talk a little bit about both. Um, okay. I'll start with palmettos and I'll end with scaleless because I have more to say about that. Um, I'm going to mute I'm, while we if do I'm, this. If I'm not mistaken, so palmettos, when I was, there was a period of time where I was actually thinking about this, like, I've got to get into this morph thing and just understand it or give mm-hmm. it taste. And that was two or three years ago. And this is before the regs hit and corn snakes were going to be illegal in West Virginia. And corn snakes were the snake that I was going to do this with. Like I was, I was trying to do a deep dive my way. And I remember distinctly when I saw the first palmetto and I was like, I like that. That's cool looking. Um, and then I started doing the deep dive and I believe I could be dead wrong. Are they, is an issue with the palmettos that when you breathe them, you get bug eyes or no? Yeah. Yes, they're 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 a, a leucistic type animal. Yes, is uh, has the same idiosyncrasies as most leucistic type animals, where the scale of, on the eye doesn't correctly form. They look dumb as hell. And so that that bug eye thing, um, I, I don't I don't like that. Uh, so I was like, okay, I just don't like it. I, I don't it's like. Great it. if it's natural, like in subox. Yes, <laughs> yeah, subox supposed to be that way, but yeah. in a corn snake. Or a leucistic Texas rat. I know they do the same thing. Uh, I, I just no. So I I don't care if other people do it, but that's not for me. So I didn't really do anything with 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 palmettos. I still think they look neat. I don't. I, I think they're one of the coolest looking morphs out there. But um, scaleless. That's a whole other conversation for me. So I I do it in my own podcast. I've heard other people say it in their podcasts. And there's always this kind of thing where we have our opinions on things, and then we say, 
You, know, you can do whatever you want to do, and blah, 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 we'll get defensive. You, you just had a guest on uh, working with Texas Rattlesnakes. Yes. Wonderful episode, by the way. Oh, yeah, uh, no. And, that and we actually a, a predominantly scaleless stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I just – scaleless is just not for me. Um, and it's a welfare issue uh, because that is the – what 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 is – what is gone, obviously, is not just the fact that it doesn't have the scales, but it doesn't have the keratinized layer of skin that is so important for reptiles that literally keeps the water on the inside of the reptile. So with the scale is mm. you're going to always be dealing with dehydration, and the animal is always going to be drier than it needs to be. Um, it, it looks itchy. Like it looks yes. like it would just be uncomfortable. I don't. And that's know. what I. I just don't like the idea with scaleless snake. Yeah. It's it's welfare is never. I mean, it's never going to be what it what it could be. You, and you, we're you, doing that intentionally. You know, there, there's there's an argument to be made against mm. that, and that is that yes. historically through the scaleless and corn snakes, keepers have found that because they have some amount of scales, specifically the belly is still scaled. Yes. Uh, they're Fine, right? And, and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm I'm saying this more as devil advocate because I've, yes. I don't think I've ever voiced. Thank my God for Cetaphil. Uh, <laughs> but but no no, uh, I know people in many different habitats because every one of our snake rooms or reptile rooms is a habitat, uh, regardless of what any of us think. Just because I have the exact same temp as Dr. Lofman or or, or Dr. Smitty over here uh, does not mean that our That's habitats are the same. That they're not. Uh, barometric pressure has something to do with that. Humidity has something to do with that. Um, altitude, uh, regardless of very much pressure, altitude has something to do with it. Um, you know, swings and weather, obviously that goes back to barometric issues. Um, everything is a little different, but historically, scaleless corn snakes are just fine, right? They, they've, they show no uh, deleterious uh, situations. I don't know if that's the right word, but goddamn, I feel smart for saying it. There you uh, go. Good word. Uh, but so... If, if you were able to exclude all of those things and say, no, they're, they're actually just fine, where do, where do you sit? If, if there was a way to prove that they are just fine. Sounds like an experiment for West Liberty. I would not have a problem with, yeah. with, with, with the scaleless morph. Um, what about scaleless morph why, water covers? Well, those <laughs> that's out. different. That's, they don't have scales. <laughs> But see, the thing is, with scaleless corn snakes, they still have scales. Scaleless uh, water cobras do not have scales at all. Yes, they look rather phallic. Uh, yeah. They do. I they literally really do. see a scaleless water cobra neonate every day. Right? Like it's we all do. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Uh, <laughs> every single day. The, the first lucidity you ever read. Uh huh. But uh. But back to the scaleless thing, though. Um, but at the same time, I absolutely will admit that, like, I look at this whole thing, and then I, 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 I have a tendency with myself. I try not to get uppity. I try not to be like pinkies out at ivory academia. Yes, I don't want to be that guy ever. And then I will ask myself, "Am I that guy?" Because in the end, as fancy as all this shit is, we are keeping snakes in plastic boxes, and sure. we need to remind ourselves that we're keeping snakes in plastic boxes. And if we're keeping snakes in plastic boxes, this is like the same thing as keeping a pug. Like pugs, cute as hell. People like them. Their their lives. I'm sorry if you own a pug. They can't breathe. They suck. So they can't freaking breathe, dude. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? And so that, that, to so me, that's that's all the dogs. The scaleless the corn snake, family. Yeah. Yes. 
corn snake, scaleless corn snake, scaleless Texas rat, scaleless false water cobra. They're the equivalent to a Yorkie, a pug, and a chihuahua to me. A you bulldog, know, yeah. Yeah, they're never going to – and a great now, Dane with tips. Yeah. yeah, the scaleless snake peeps will latch on to the examples that have been found in nature. There was a picture of that scaleless cobra that showed up like two or three months ago. Yeah. Like, see, see, this is making it out in nature. Um, but if that was really as common as we think it, we, we want yeah. it to be, how about that? People will be finding those things. Like, there's literally a picture on social media today of an albino Texas indigo that somebody killed in their yard. Yeah. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. We find albinos all the time. I've seen pictures on the, from the snake groups of patternless mm -hmm. copperheads. Isn't it weird how they're like almost always dead when there's like anomalies yeah. out there? Yeah. Uh huh. Coincidence? But the, 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 the scaleless morph is just, I, I just don't know. Verdict's out. So, yeah. but like Kevin, using Kevin, I know that I'm about to get some Texas rat snakes that are scaleless when I go to Tinley. And I thought, nice. okay, I'm going to give this, you know, let's give this a shot. So um, I tend to have to make my own mind up with experience before I will have an opinion. But I will never I, accept I, that opinion until I have the experience myself. I, I love that. I, I would love to hear your experienced opinion. I'd love I'd love to hear your opinion getting them, looking at them, feeling yes. them. And then I'd love to hear your opinion three, yeah, four, five years one. down the road. Yeah. But here's something else, though. That I Every day, Smitty, you hold one. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so we talk about, like, palmettos, and we talk about the scaleless um, snakes. But when it comes to these mutations, we are always – discussing the phenotype i've heard travis wyman dr wyman talk about this love travis yeah there are the so many gene pairs that are co-adapted with, with these phenotypes and we might make like there might be some morph of corn snake that we think there's nothing obviously wrong with it. it's not bug-eyed it's not doesn't have it's got the scales are right scolations right it grows at the right rate nothing's wrong Knows and what plane of existence it's on. Yeah, but that particular animal, it may not be able to make some enzyme that it needs to digest sure. mouth bones. Absolutely. And we'll never know that. You see what I'm saying? And it could yeah. actually be living a much horrible existence than the scaleless, which looks horrible to some <laughs> people. But in reality, if we're giving it its needs, and it's good. So that's why the morph thing to me is so interesting. Yeah. Because there's so much more going on than just the pretty paint job. Yeah. Well, I mean, I like with the, yeah. with the palmettos and the scaleless and, and really any of the morphs, but with those two in particular, I find sort of the story and the mystery behind them more interesting than the actual morph itself. Mm -hmm. um, but that's also why I like Sarah's morph deep dive videos so much because she goes back and explains like where it came from, when it popped up, you know, with everything, be it caramel, hypo stuff, whatever. Um, I don't know. I find, especially just in the grand, like bigger picture with corn morphs and stuff, I find sort of the the story behind it just as interesting as the yeah. as the animal itself. But when it comes to palmettos and, and scaleless, to me, it's just like the story of the palmetto and whether you know how accurate is what we've heard, like that sort of aspect of it and sort of the unsolved mystery part of it. Yeah, I I, I find more interesting than the actual. Morph. Yeah, it's almost the theology of it. Kind of, yeah. Based yeah. off of the, you know, and, 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 and luckily we have somebody like Sarah Moore in this hobby oh, that's yeah. doing the research and, and, and putting out those videos. And, you know, we've had her on this show twice already, and I'm sure she'll be on many more times. Uh, but there is nobody out there that is doing the choreography on these uh, morphs like she does. It, 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 it's, yes. it's, it, and, and, and I, like I've said it before, I'll say it again. 
she does this for free. Remember, mm-hmm. she does this as a hobby. Her hobby yeah. is 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 putting information into your brain for zero dollars. Actually, it only costs her money because there, yeah, there's true. equipment. There's mm-hmm. there's time. If anybody ever thinks their time is free, you're wrong because your time totally has a dollar wrong. value, and you can assess that through math. And, you know, figure it out. You know, get a second job, get a third job, get a fifth job. Uh, none of this is free, though it may be relaxing or, or, or exciting. But Doctor Lop, I. I I think I, I really uh, appreciate your opinion on that. You 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 won't necessarily make a dedicated assessment on that until they're in your hands, yes. till you've till, till you've really experienced it. I I personally, as far as the scales go, are kind of like you. I've never had one. They're kind of weird looking. They kind of freak me out. <laughs> uh, but I won't sit here and say it's a bad thing till I can prove it to myself. Now, yes, the scale is uh, ball pythons. The scale is. Uh, Bearded dragons, I think, are yep. scaleless. Also, yep. I, I I truly believe that some of these animals are like fucked up, right? Like they they're they're they're, they're born <laughs> yes, without they things are. that are, you know like that was this animal said, and the way I think as well. <laughs> yeah, there's, it's 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 hard it's hard to not look at it that way. But mm-hmm. then we get these animals now. Mother Nature, evolution has done a better job of sorting out morphs than we ever will. Mother Nature yeah. had a million years or more to do this for us, right? Yeah, the reason yeah, we yeah. don't have a wild population of leucistic alligators who've been around for, you know, 65 million years or more, I don't know if any of that's accurate, but I'm going to assume that it is because I said it. It. I said it on the internet, so now mm-hmm. it's true. Uh, but 65 million years of alligators, the reason we don't have a leucistic population is because they're not going to survive. Now, that doesn't mean, mean that leucistic alligators, these beautiful white animals, don't do well in captivity and can't reproduce. We've proved exactly. that time and time and time again. But like you said, how many of those are screaming on the inside, right? Please turn off the lights. I literally want to cut my throat, but I can't do it because I'm an animal with two brain cells. And yep. and I've I've thought myself in this situation this year. I produced a uh, a particular animal that really stood out to me. I produced an Ultramel Red Factor Stripe Tessera. Het anary, uh, uh, beautiful little snake, and then I produce some red, f- red factor ultramel, which ultramel is two genes, uh, hypo anary stripe. That I, I actually sent one to Justin. The very uh, complex compound of genes, right? We're talking about five or six genes going on There's that are now phenotypical. There, uh, obviously, these animals would would uh, survive in the wild because I know what bass bait looks like. Yeah. Right, and I I know what the fish eat, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know how many, you know how how far into this hole do we get that with these designer animals? Because that that is what they are—they're designer animals—to where we say, okay, but fuck, man, this is this is straight up just a, a scale of snake, right? Like it's <laughs> just a scale of snake, right? I'm just trying to have mm-hmm. one animal without scales, and 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 then even at that point, it still has scales. It has rostral scales, it has belly scales, it has neck scales, it has eye scales, which is kind of one of the major factors in all of it. And then we see that compounding, that gene breeding scale is to scale is. And then going into the F3s, F4s, which I've kind of started researching a little bit, we're still getting healthy animals. We're getting animals that yeah. shed well, that eat well, that start well, that that don't show any of those, oh, God, I'm going to use it again. Y'all just hold up. Deleterious genes. Yeah, there you right? go. Uh, Blown away. <laughs> woo! I mean, I'm pretty much a scientist <laughs> myself, Dr. Long. Yeah, uh, but let's kind of counterpart that. Let's look at palmettos. Whereas I take this animal that falls on the spectrum of leucism 
And if I take a palmetto to a palmetto, most of the time I'm going to get bug-eyed animals. I'm going to get I'm going to get uh, very genetically degraded uh, degraded animals. Uh, so. But palmettos are widely accepted as just fine, right? Like, oh, it's it's just now, okay. Now, do they have a they have a neuro thing? Do they have a wobble or no? No, no. So, so we did have a wobble back remember. in what would be the eighties. Um, the sun kissed had a wobble. It was called okay. star. You know, we called it stargazing back then. I, I say back then, like I was alive. <laughs> uh, I was. <laughs> I was alive in nineteen eighty five. But uh, mm-hmm. Kathy Love was producing uh, sun kiss, which orig- originated out of the uh, OKD line uh much like you have red zeppelins and we have albinos and stuff that came from the okds but she actually it's kathy love so she proved that the stargazing uh the neurological issue was actually its own recessive gene and she was able to breed it out now there were instances in the 90s and i do remember this uh when i was getting in a little more in depth on a hobby that would be 98 99 where people would say this animal's not a stargazer this animal's not head for stargazing but by 2000 2006 it wasn't even talked about people don't even think about uh sun kiss being attached to stargazing and and as far as i know it's not even in, in, in the hobby anymore um but yeah gotcha. that was proven to be at literally a recessive trait and that was done by kathy love um, but if anybody was going to do the due diligence with a with a morph that would was something like that would be somebody like her um but yeah so it's kind of it's kind of interesting uh no that's all on. of this is very interesting but I did like palmettos. I think they're cool looking snakes. They're beautiful animals, man. I don't I just I, I'll take a snow, man. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just when it comes to well, like just white corn, I gotta so go with just a, a I'm gonna ask this corn. question. And I brought this up in our chat too. Do is are there any sex linked morphs? Because I have our corn snakes at school, I can absolutely look at them. And say, and then these are line bred. This is literally my male Herschel to our female. We named her Hazel, and that's what sure. like the Tubbs letters say, H times H, so we know who it is. Right. But males are are like pumpkin orange. Females are like that Miami phase brown gray. Yeah, and and it, I can see it from like down the hallway. Tell you what it is. We probe the snakes. This one's a female. This one's a male. Okay, like so I don't know if that's. Normal. I think like it's I said, probably I don't do the more thing. common than we think it is. I don't think there's people paying attention enough to to notice a trend one way or the other. Well, yeah. the, for the most part, like yeah, in general. for the well, most part, I just part, made yeah. over a hundred of them. So if people want to <laughs> run with it, <laughs> uh, so there, there's the old adage with snakes that the males are always prettier. This mm-hmm. is definitely true in pantherophis. In pantherophis, okay. you see that your males usually have a lighter, more vibrant. Uh, phenotype uh, that's kind of just across the board your males are almost always prettier and we, we we say prettier because we anthropomorphize these things but the lighter the more contrast right we want to see contrast yeah. in our animals something about us as humans loves contrast and i i i akin it back to us as humans looking at hair on a human right like mm-hmm. we have pale skin or dark skin uh but our hair is always darker right and then something about the hair being lighter you know, we start getting gray, gray hair. Humans think that contrast means you're older, you're weaker, you're, you're not as breedable. And it's almost like an innate thing. Like, you know, get down to the uncanny valley. Why do we think these things? Why <laughs> do we see here, a peasant? 
mm-hmm. but but no but why do we see a man with gray hair see that. and say he's weaker right he's older he's now this is not true because i know a lot of dudes with gray hair to whoop my ass and and mm-hmm. and, and but there's there's this innate thing that happens so we do that we anthropomorphize animals we think that things with higher contrast are prettier right we do the same thing with birds but start looking at birds the more colorful well, they males, have secondary more... sexual character yeah but there, there's they there's more in different different they, wavelengths of light than we do too so those sure make a difference. Yep. but start start looking at how we view the hobby the males are prettier why do we say the males are prettier the males are prettier because they have more contrast why do they have more contrast this could be a just a, a, a sexually dimorphic situation or it could be entirely more complex than that i know that there's uh Species of snakes out there, I believe ball pythons, one of them. That certain morphs only show up in males or only show up in females. Okay, uh, but if you that look at sense. like, uh, so we can take hypoerythritic corn snakes, which is going to be cinders. Uh, the males always have much deeper reds, much more palatable reds. You'll see a lot more uh, cherry colors in the male cinders than you will see in a female cinder. But also, it's kind of weird with cinder which is kind of an anery type, hypoerythristic type morph, recessive uh, trait. Also, you start putting, start plugging that into like hypo and, and other traits, start plugging it into albino, where we start taking out some of the, the, the melaton. The males end up being a little bit more color saturated than the females. This akins itself over to like Mexmex. So uh, in the Lampropeltis Mexicana complex, um, granites. Take a granite Mexmex. Find me a male ultra granite that's patternless. You won't. But your mm-hmm. females will all be patternless, sometimes with beautiful cherry redheads. But the females always have much uh, less color, much less patterning. John Lasser has told me before, I can look at a Mexmex and tell you whether it's male or female. And I was like, there's no way. And he's like, no, you can because of the saturation of color, where the color saturates, the way that's the bands cool. do it. And See, I was that's like, no, what this is doing. That's what's yeah. really cool about it. So, and, and so, if you have something in corn snakes that doing that, it, it, it's it's kind of interesting that you're noticing that because it could be something as simple as hypotype A, right? The male, you know, the males are just a little bit lighter than the females, but they're all hypo, or maybe some of them are hypo. Um, and, and I'm just I'm just picking a gene to express that in. This could also be an expressed heterozygous, right? So maybe those males are expressed. Everything's heterozygous for something, right? The whole clutch is heterozygous for something, but the males are expressing. They have they have I the incomplete you. dominant kind of uh, het marker. ideology. The het marker, right? The het, het markers, marker. yeah. But the females don't show the het marker. But maybe if you breed those together, and and, and that's obviously what you got to do. You got to breed yeah. them together. Well, we and did see it. What comes out? <laughs> so, oh, so you bred you bred, the, you bred the pretty males back to the females mm-hmm. that were a little bit less. Yep. And so what'd you get? Well, that's what all these babies are. So uh, I'm looking at the babies right now, they just look like baby corn snakes. But right. I also don't have an eye for uh, morphs yet. So, yeah, I mean, you guys, Sarah, could look at those things and be like, oh, my God. Blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I'm just be like, corn snake. That's where I'm at right now. And there's so, nothing to say that something yeah. that we haven't noticed before is now being noticed by you. Mm-hmm. And then now bringing those animals back together is going to show us what may come to fruition from it. Um no, so, cool. so we, we don't in corn snakes. It's one of the biggest faults of this hobby in the corn snake world is we don't think about things more complex than 
simple recessive or or co-dominant <laughs> yeah. or incomplete dominant we we just say this is this this is this this is this this course yeah, we've been doing this for 50 years and we're done but maybe we can get it maybe it's just the maybe those males are just prettier maybe they don't show that gray hair you know what i mean and it's they're dark to death yeah <laughs> and, and i and i would wonder if you took a sample size maybe your sample size is 20 30. Mm -hmm. maybe if you took a sample size of a thousand there'd be a bell curve Right, but yeah. because we have a small sample size, maybe it looks so much more linear. Well, what's thought, interesting so. is that it is like they are all adults. All of the males have a similar phenotype. All the females have similar. It's not. There's no blending. It, yeah. It's literally like females gray, males red. Yeah, reddish orange. Uh, hmm. but anyway, and then when they breed cool back though. together, you get the exact same thing. We're, we're, that's what we're about to find out. Oh. We never really these animals just got old enough this year to breed. So, okay. Uh, well, that's so super no. exciting because yeah. I can't wait to hear the result from that. Well, there you go. It was an unintended consequence of what we did. So, well, it's, it's glad go. I'm glad that somebody that's paying attention is yeah looking at it because what if what if it's the next step in the the herpeticulture uh, evolution, right? Yeah. You, you or heard we, it here first. There it's you go. and morph. Loth and morphin. Loth and should come out patternless, right? Or, who mm -hmm. knows? I don't know. Yeah. Cool. Interesting. Yeah, I do Endless. remember the, where was the picture you sent, I guess, of some of the adults a that while was it. back. And there was one in particular in there that really stood out. But we still have it. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's there. I need to hunt no. down that picture again. Anyway. Show fun. Chris, because it was like out of the bunch, you know, it was like yeah. that one for whatever reason. I. But like, that's that one's that one's different. The, the refining of genes that we do with all of these in this hobby, all throughout this hobby, the selective breeding, right? Like selective breeding made, you know, variable kings, Leonis, what they are, right? This oh, is yeah. all Hardly. of this is a. Are they variable in the wild? Yes, they absolutely are. But look at what they are in this hobby, right? Yeah. You're talking about animals that have been imported in the United States since 1984. Uh, I don't even know if that's the right date. Again, I make up my own science. Fuck you guys. <laughs> but but you my know, timeline, and I'm sticking to it. Yep. I can't be wrong if I say it on the internet. No, there I'm you are. You are right. Because it <laughs> was on the internet. Uh, it was on the internet. It's true. Yes. But yeah, look at look at look at what we've done with a lot of these species. Uh, chondros. Uh, you know, we, we take all these different localities, and then but when we start getting these designer morphs, look how we bred and bred and bred and bred. Uh, and we're we're young in this, right? And in the chondro hobby, Justin, you're 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 more uh, more more seasoned on that. In, in, in what like what sixteen years. 14 years of people really breeding these animals, uh, doing it well, doing it consistently. Uh, God, look at, look at the selective breeding we've done with gargoyle geckos or lychees or mm -hmm. any of this. It's, it's just, you know, selective breeding will, will dictate its own phenotype. We have our own locality and it's called designer, right? Uh, we can do this with every animal. Room. Oh, oh yeah. Your room. I mean, you have, yeah, you have a, Dr. Loppin, you have your 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 darker uh, false water cobras. Yep. How many generations does it take to get a, a much darker animal? And you just keep going. You just keep going. You just keep going. This is how we get striped. Lavenders. Uh, yeah. Ugh. Well, lavender, I think, is something else. <laughs> uh, I, 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 now, I don't. I, don't, I, 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 I lavenders know what are just feathers. Yes. Lavenders are just albinos. That's all. Like, we call them. They're just a simple recessive. That's it. They're. I have well, one. Is it, it actually albino? Is or is 
tyranny is positive albino. It could be. Well, it, 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 there you go. It's one of those tyrannies deals. The I have a lavender, and I'm basing my opinion of lavenders off of my lavender. But that may be the dumbest snake I've ever owned in my entire life. <laughs> like it, and I have, I have a lot of dumb snakes. Uh, <laughs> um, but it, it's. It's a mouser. It's the anti-false water cobra. And then, yeah, I'll be making those next year, I think. So we shall see. But, I'm too excited about it. But you say albino, but I would be one of the people in the camps of disagreeing with that. It's not an albino. Well, it's no. not a tyranny's positive albino. It's a hypo. Yeah, it's something like that. Yeah. But like you said, I'm not, I don't know the morphs well enough. That was the hardest yeah. part about writing the book, by the way. Is um, and I understand it because Russ, who's my Russ Gurley, was my editor, and he was like, "Okay, your natural history stuff's amazing, but people are going to buy this book to see pictures of albinos and and, and lavenders and you know, all this stuff. So we got to make the morph sections great." And I tried. I really, really tried. I tried real hard. <laughs> is, is, is there an albino? Is there an albino so, water cobra? Well, uh, no. Whatever the hell the lavender is is as close to an albino as you can get. But being it, simple recessive doesn't make it albino. Yeah, it's no. It's probably a, a, a tyranase. It's definitely a tyranase mutation. We know that. Okay. Um, we also know that every single lavender is a product of of two, one or two animals. I can't remember sure. off the top of probably my head. Probably one. Yeah. yeah. And they were in Italy in 2014. And then they basically, you know, we, we, we have them all. And in Europe, they're doing a hell of a lot better job than we are over here because they're – sure. They're back crossing and adding. They're keeping sure, track of they who's care. breeding with yeah. who. Yeah, and they they've got like quadruple heads and triple heads, and they have a hypo. We do not have a hypo. I will die on that hill. We have high yellow animals, um, but it's all line breeding. It's not an actual line bred animals straight. are not hypo. Line bred yeah. dark animals are not melanistic. We need yeah. To there you be go. Be careful how we put nomenclature on these. So things, sure. that's why I say high yellow, high black because yeah. I, I don't want to apply the. Uh, to me, you start saying melanistic, you, and it's not really how it works. Yeah. There you go. And if you say hypo, to me, that is hypo. Like that is a gene, and it doesn't matter where you get your hypos from. It has to come back to that, blah, blah, blah. And that's just reduced black is not hypomelanistic. Hypomelanistic no, has a specific, there's a yeah, similar, similar thing in chondros where it's like there's a high yellow line, mm -hmm. which was originally done by Eugene Bissett, if I'm recalling correctly. Yeah, uh, and then there's just chondros that have high yellow, but they are yep not the same. There yep. are albino chondros. Yeah, but they don't do well, right? Like there's something about uh, them. That just Marshall Mendez work. is the only one I know that has any currently and is actually actively trying to. Was that proved as simple recessive? I think so. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you would assume that albino is albinism is no. you know lack of melanin, like it's. I think go. I don't know what either. I haven't, been in, the, I haven't been in the loop <laughs> with with what that you know yeah. with that whole thing, but I know he's been trying like hell for for years to to try and build upon it. But yeah, I don't think out. they do that well uh, as far as my super limited contro brain, <laughs> which is like I know nothing about contro. I agree. Have one. <laughs> well, the they're, first they're, thing you need to know is they're awesome. They're they're yes. beautiful. I like them. Things. We have one in school, yeah. and I know that I keep my chondro different than everybody else. It's in like this full, big, Jesus Christ, that thing's a four foot tall, three foot wide, two foot deep PVC closure, and it's got like a naturalistic background and sticks and pothos and 
and it, the snake's like 30, 20 or 30 years old. We got nice. it from a zoo. Wow. Um, but Feed yeah, it no, less, it, keep it colder, less humidity. Yep. <laughs> Probably you do all those things, and he's great. We have um, a, a cool mist uh, humidifier. Nice. That we we drilled a um, bulkhead into it, and it's on a timer. So twice a day, that thing gets drilled with humidity. It, it looks like a freaking cloud in there. Um, nice. And I was kind of afraid that that was going to be bad because I listened to a lot of things about chondros, and I was like, we are doing everything wrong. Nothing <laughs> is what we're supposed to be doing. And it it's been with us for three years, and it seems to be doing fine. If there's one thing I know about chondros, if it's doing well, do not change it. <laughs> yeah, no. It, it, we have it Let dialed it do it. in. Let it do it. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yep. And chondros are very sensitive. Yes. So – Back on false water cobras, and I kind of just want to yes. ask this. I know we need to wrap this up. Are, sure. it, so scaleless false water cobras do exist. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, they do. I, it kind of looks like they need to be oiled like my car. But mm-hmm. is that simple recessive? Is that don't is know yet. scale in there? Don't know. There, there's um, there's only been there's there's one pair. I think they are in Belgium, uh, and that particular pair produced the animals that were all over the internet, social media, whatever in 2021 and then yeah. that guy uh he's a really cool guy i communicated with him for the book um he produced another he actually produced more this year from the same pair so he so whatever that pair is is producing them whatever but right it's now doing, it's working yeah. yes but we don't know anything beyond that because we they, they, those animals aren't old enough to breed yeah. yet yeah um it takes but I more do than know, two generations to figure it out you gotta keep going yeah is that it's kind of i like it that the i don't remember the names the guy's name um but he's doing it it's kind of interesting because a lot of people would be like oh my god next new thing i'm gonna power feed the shit out of these things get them huge and breed them again and he is definitely as slow growing a falsy as you can i was gonna say isn't that like growing them relatively slowly they're only like ready in no time regardless they're They're only three feet long and and it's not hard at all to get a false water cobra i don't think you're even pushing it to somewhere between four and six feet is totally within the realm of possibility for those animals for normal yeah Um, so these are actually on the smaller end of normal Uh, what's been really fun to watch with the lavenders is Falsies are a snake you cannot push to breeding. Like if okay. you you have to get them to six feet, yeah. and it seems like they they need to be three years old. And yeah. I've kept track of a lot of people. And when the first set of lavenders came over to the states, it was in twenty. There's a, a a shipment came over around 2015, 2016, of like five animals, and then another uh, guy imported a bunch in 2018, 2019, and those animals hit. And that was like there were there were falsy pe- keepers that wanted lavenders and they loved lavenders and I totally was one of them and they we weren't like pushing them we were just treating them like any other falsy and then there were definitely the get rich feet quick people who were like we're gonna get these things to breeding size in a year um, because you can't oh. it is totally within the real possibility to get a false you get that size that doesn't mean they're gonna breed but that yeah. mean they're gonna breed and there's yeah. been a lot of people that have been putting these things together over the past three years. And they'll get like one or two, um, but uh, in the states, the first set of like the, the the first wave of lavenders come in have now reached sexual maturity at the right time, and this was the year that we started to really see lavenders hit the U.S. market. 
Uh, and I think there were probably around 20 that were made. And next year, they're going to be all over the place because I know a lot of people who have hats um, that are going to produce lavenders. Uh, they're from like my generation. That got, yeah. I was on that second wave and I got my is, mail. Is it a visual head or no? Oh. It's just it is. Head I think that it is a visual head. Okay. Um, so maybe an incomplete dominant. But it's kind of neat. Yes, I think it's an incomplete dominant. I do think I actually like the hats more than the lavenders. They're, they, that they're happens a really lot of times. Yeah. Cool lemon yellow color. It's not. It's not what we call a hypo in the states. It's it's this like cream, butterscotch kind of color. I don't know how to explain it. Um, but yeah. I, I have one of those hats here as well. But in Europe, they they they've made double hats and triple hats. And those animals have a, a unique phenotype. They look like they're ma they're made out of dark dark chocolate. They're not black. They're not brown. They're this like deep cocoa, huh. brownish color. Uh, but all that stuff's being bred next year. So next year, false water cobras are going to like blow up. I Good. mean, they've, they've kind of blown up in the past couple of years. They absolutely have. Um, but the morphs aren't going to hit until next year. I, I think really false hit. water cobras got a little popularity from. Uh, Steak Discovery did a good job mm -hmm. of talking about them, uh, yeah. putting them into a good light because I think they had a lot yes. of negative. They absolutely uh, had a negative. Kind yeah, of and I, I, don't, I don't think it's a species that, that is uh, – I don't think it's a species that requires a bunch of negative thought. I think they're no. pretty – uh, When they are babies, they are absolute assholes. They are yeah. horrific. So was I, they, right? Yes. Like, they just bite everything um, that yeah. moves, and then they get past that little baby shit phase, as I call it, and they get to be about like – once they hit 18 inches, they, they, they chill out. They still have sure. the most ridiculous feeding response. I don't know if you can see this, but that was <laughs> – there we yeah. go. That it's was a good from one. a yearling that lives in my office. I yeah. popped down the tub and looked this way, and then I was like, I am being eaten as my arm's being drugged into the tank. Sure. Um, so, you know, but lots of snakes have that response. It's just sure. uh, that you have to work with them. They're not a snake that you can just have. A little bit more brains. I so, actually argue they're a really good pet snake because people want to like yeah. interact with something. Yeah. Um, and you can train them. You can target train them. You can um get them the shift train. You can. They definitely know their keepers. I will say that. I don't think that's anthropomorphizing. Everybody no. smells different, and yeah. they just are able to do associations really well. So they know that food monkey is the food monkey, and that food sure. monkey is not the food monkey. And that one smells like shit, and this one smells like this, and that's the one I'm going to hone in on. And and I can, I, I, that's what I think's going on. Uh, so my office, they all, they know what day they get fed. They're cruising yeah. on the day they get fed, and I come in nice. the room, and about twenty seconds later, and they just like stop because <laughs> they've picked up my scent, and they kind of orient slowly, and they move to the corner, and they just wait for me to open the. <laughs> so there's the, a few the more crayons in the so, box. That's not yes. a bad thing. So, okay, keeping it on corn snakes. Let's say, uh, yeah. you know, we have hundreds of thousands of listeners now, and, and we're very proud of that. <laughs> so let's say a, a corn snake breeder is listening to this podcast and is thinking, you know, I want to get into something. Uh, you know, maybe not pitch you office. Maybe I don't want to deal with the attitude. Maybe I don't want to mm -hmm. deal with the, the spunk. I want to keep something that's going to be similar temperatures as a corn snake. I believe that a hydrodynasty is kind of like being in that you know, 82 to 84, maybe, mm -hmm. maybe even lower 80s. Uh, would you suggest uh, a false water cobra to somebody that wants to diversify their bonds wants sure. to kind of yeah so there's just the only thing with false water cobras is that and i will uh, they just can't be kept in racks as adults and the reason why is sure. they crap too much yeah. and they need water yeah. and they need a lot of water 
and yeah. you are you are just literally begging for fungal infections and respiratory sure. infections if you're going to give them the type of water they need to soak in in a tub I environment. I, so, I think th I think this exact same thing is uh, akin to northern pines, black pines. Yep. Now, I keep mine in racks, but my plan is to go to like FB90s, you know, big, mm -hmm. big, big tubs, tubs yes. that are bigger than most uh fiberglass cages you know four foot by two foot tubs uh yep. but you still have exactly to be careful you and you could probably clean. get away with uh falsies in that tub. that's the only tub environment that i feel like yeah. you could do but even by then tub, we're not talking yeah. about a tub but you bought at walmart we're no. talking about a but you're still gonna have to punch yeah. that that thing full of holes like because yeah. when they crap I, I, I've now kept Big Pitch Office, I've kept Dre Markin, and I've kept Hydrogen Nasties, like the, the triad of terror when it comes to crap. Yeah, poopoos. Yeah. Um, I can flat out say that the thing about the hydro poo is it's the volume, man. I mean, like, is that a lot kid, of poopoo? -poo? Yeah, I had a lot of poopoo. -poo. And I was changing diapers, and my damn giant falsies shit more than my kid did when he was three. Like, <laughs> it is. Is it's it? Is it so, <laughs> so, if you have a tub as, as, and you don't have airflow, you're going to be. Yeah. Ammonia is going to hit, and that's that's the big issue. I, and I, they use I, every inch of space you give them. That's the other thing. They they are I, definitely active. I, I can't have hydrodynastics for two reasons. One, because it's absolutely illegal, and I'll go to jail. <laughs> the second reason is because I'm literally allergic to the world. There's yeah, no, another thing that we like do. A pumpkin, and it would yeah, be bad. The, <laughs> the, the, the whole other there is the fact hydrodynastics are rear fang. They rear are fang, venomous. Yes. Uh, mm -hmm. If you get envenomated by a false water cobra it is a foreign protein going into your body it is not a no. good thing uh not a good thing. that doesn't mean that that doesn't mean that every bite is an envenomation but it does mean that an envenomation can become serious yes. you you uh, know when you've been bit by one of these guys and it could be bad and i'm not condoning free handling them or anything like that and that gets kind yeah. of weird it's kind uh, of a weird thing because they're yeah, kind of but chill snakes when they come out. They're, they yeah. they have the mechanical injury from the rear fang. You know when it's happening because we're talking yeah. about a snake that's head is literally the size of this mouse. Yeah, and the rear fangs they're, are like they a are centimeter massive. long. They're not like yeah. most epistoglyphs where it's like a little bit bigger. Yeah. and when you get hit by it, it slices and dices you. Like Ooh. this, the cut right there. I thought, oh yeah. shit, like this is it, um, and that's not. That's the lower jaw. That's not yeah. even the top jaw. So uh, it didn't get me with the fang. The fang was like out here, and I'm lucky. And, and that this is the, literally the worst bite I've ever had from one of them. Um, so you, have you've never been or anything? Not to my knowledge. I, well, that's not entirely true. I got bit one time by a baby. Uh, and what's really neat, and I think it's neat, it's also unfortunate, is that most <laughs> of the um envenomations when i was doing all the research for the book it seems like the big falsies you don't there were nowhere near as many reactions in from the big falsie bites as there were the babies okay uh, and you either don't react to the babies or you you do and that's that's just the way that it works and i'm worrying about me because i'm around these things all the time i'm around their spit all the time hypersensitivity is a thing yeah. so i'm doing my like due diligence not to like treat them like a corn snake and wrap them around yeah. my head and do all that crap yeah uh because um the reason why this happened well no that wasn't the reason why this happened same snake today <laughs> i opened it up to get it, it crapped one of its toddler dumps yeah and i had the hook and i was tap training the snake and i she was in her hide and i tap trained her and she just 
bam, like came out, grabbed the hook, and drug it back into the damn cage. And like sure. eating the freaking hook, like what the hell is happening? So I'm, like, I'm pulling, and she's pulling it back, and I'm pulling, and she's pulling it back, and she, it, she did envenomate the snot out of that hook, like it was covered in spit yeah. and and thick, goopy Duvernoy's stuff. And I'm just sitting there thinking. I'm not, I did get envenomized by this, but I just exposed myself to a tremendous load of proteins here from that yeah. damn egg spit. So yeah. that's the issue that you got to worry about. And I, sure. I, I know that I'm not kidding myself. I will absolutely one day have a reaction to a bite that's going sure. to happen. And I try not to get bit as much as I can. I use hooks. I do all that. I don't yeah. you know, Smart. do the free yeah. handling thing, but it's going to happen. But that's also because I have a, I have a dozen of them. Like I, I do not have a, I have probably, I mean, I'm not like flexing or bragging, but I think between the house and school, I don't know how I don't have the largest number of them. Because we probably have, do. We have. <laughs> I would yeah. be shocked if you did. We and I have the facilities to keep them right. Yeah. That's the thing. Not everybody has a freaking science building. That's what you need to keep them right. You, um, you need so room. You need yeah. room. They need space. But I have about they're... twenty. Yeah. 20 of them right now, I think. Adults, so, breeding adults. Uh, breeding adults, I have 10 ish. Okay. Um, and then I have about five juvies, and then I have five neonates. So nice. So there you go. Yeah. I mean, it's, and it's also one of those things. Those envenomations can do one of two things. They can, you can actually build a uh, self resiliency to the venom, mm -hmm. or you can also produce an allergic reaction to it. Which and is what I've bad. done with Aspen. The more mm -hmm. I work with Aspen, the more allergic I get to Aspen. The more I touch yeah. mice, the more allergic I am to mice. The, the <laughs> more I touch my snakes without gloves on, the more uh, the more yeah, life I, I, doesn't like I see your pictures with the gloves, and I was like, man, Chris is on it. Like, this is sterile technique at its greatest. Yeah. And now I've come to learn through our collective chat, it's yeah. because you don't want to die. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I've and, sent pictures of my hands swollen up. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Like, I'm like, oh, I, okay. <laughs> I've literally opened up bags of Aspen and then been laying in bed like, does does Daddy need an inhaler? Right? Yeah. Like it's it, it's you know, but yeah, I, I I got I got the short end of the stick on that. I don't know, six foot tall and funny. Fuck it, right? Like I got some go. good things out yeah, of life. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but but yeah. Uh, it's it's anyways i i love that you talked about that i don't necessarily think you've ever talked about that as far as like mm -hmm. envenomation the thoughts of envenomation yeah. the the worries of it um and, and a lot of people out here keeping corn snakes that are listening to our podcast want to diversify into a lot of different species i think hydro nasties is an amazing species i yeah. would love to keep it is literally right up my alley does this does the shit stink yup does it eat like crazy <laughs> yup does it fly out of the tub yeah i love it it, mm -hmm. it, it hits it, it does it need to be cooler rather than hotter yep like it, it it checks all my boxes uh but you know it's it's some one of the things that you know me personally are, are going to avoid but uh you know dr no. Lopin, um uh, if it came you know if we kind of try to circle back around to corn sticks is, is there any kind of you know last thoughts you would say last uh, thoughts? yeah somebody interested I, in keeping in corn snakes wants to get into breeding corn snakes what, what what's your thoughts what do you where, where do you end up on that i think that they're I think that they are more than a beginner snake, but a beginner snake sure. at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I've learned, I've, I, like I said at the very beginning, we're circling back to the circling back. Um, when I got back into this, I thought I, for me to be legit, I've got to have like really rare, crazy, nutty, off the wall crap. And I've learned that's total crap. 
that you should just keep what you want to keep because if you're keeping what you want to keep, you're going to keep it better because you want to keep it. Yeah, exactly. Like if you're if you're doing this because it's cool and trendy, then you start to realize they kind of suck. That animal is <laughs> going to uh, it's not going to live the best life it's going it could live because I don't Absolutely care who you true. are, you're gonna you're gonna you know crap out on it. So with the yeah. with the corn snakes, that's why I know that I will always have them. I would yeah. probably have more here at the house if we didn't have the regs. And I just don't want to deal with the regs. Uh, sure, but yeah. um, and that's but even at on school. Morphs? We have them. What was that? Like you? That's even on morphs. Yeah, I would probably. I mean, like you that. like legally, morphs what? are we are off limits. We are absolutely. I, I'm saying we because I'm helping them. Um, I think West Virginia is going to be a wonderful example of how the regs can be written the right way because they're talking to somebody who's in this world. Mm-hmm. Uh uh, and that might have made me sound like an arrogant prick, but that's not what I was trying to, to get at. I have biologists coming to me literally saying, like, what is a morph? What? Wh- how would we be able to identify little Bobby's, you know, corn snake and be able to say it didn't come from West Virginia? You know, that those are the con- – I just had those conversations this week for pine snakes, eastern king snakes, and corn snakes. Because so those three right now, DNR totally understands that um, they are – there, that there are captive bred phenotypes where the last thing a person that's doing this as a hobby wants to do is run out and catch some parasite ridden snake and bring it into their collection and get the parasites in there. Like they just want to know how to define them and all that kind of stuff. But yeah. more on that later. That's the main reason why I don't have more of them here. Now I'm fortunate because I was able to grandfather in all the animals at the school. And like I said, I'm literally getting a corn snake tomorrow nice. from the West Virginia DNR <laughs> because they um, it's some guys retiring and he's had it for like 15 years. And I was like, I can add it to our bloodline and our stuff was grandfathered in. And I got, I have to write permits to breed the corn snakes because they're a native species in West Virginia. So like, that's just a pain in the ass. But back to the original question. Um, I think that uh, they're also great for people to do advanced stuff with. Like, sure. I would challenge anybody that has them just if you've got a huge collection that's in a rack, get a PVC enclosure and slap one in there and watch it yeah. because they are awesome to keep, yeah. you know, that way. Uh, and they're awesome to keep racks. I mean, we keep all the, we don't keep all of them. We keep the breeders for our research projects are definitely kept in the, is it VE 70s or whatever the hell is this, the vision yeah. 70 tub. Yeah. yeah that's what we yeah. have them, them in because they're a colony. We also yeah. have animals in the PVC enclosure. That's what I like about them. There's like total diversity. Yeah. You can pretty much do what you want with these things uh, within reason and have a, a happy, healthy animal. So they're kind of the perfect snake. They're, they, they fit that. They fit that statement. Well, uh, yeah. I, I truly do not believe they are the best for a snake because I believe the best for a snake is the one that you've done the most research on and the one that you're ready to keep. Uh, and that could be a, that could be a rough scale python. That could be a mm-hmm. Boelans, right? Or a, yeah, Boelans. I think it's right. That could be that could be your first snake. Uh, I, I but I think if you're interested in snakes and you want to have something that's going to do well in a lot of environments, I think you're you're right. Also, if you have one snake, you have one corn snake. You got it in a tub. Maybe you're a, a leopard gecko breeder, and that's what you do. Put it put it in a display vivarium. I, I think you're going to be shocked at the uh, interaction that you're going to get from that animal. I, I, yeah. I truly believe that across there the board. Was a, 
a, a research great. paper came out this year that and there and when it came out a lot of people were like that's crap and then if you read the paper it's not crap but yeah. they were able to show first time ever this whole idea that snakes so it's not that they love their owners that snakes are able to associate their owners with a positive interaction and these snake corn snakes basically were more active and 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 they were displaying predatory behavior yeah. in the presence of their keeper that they were not displaying in the absence of their keeper because they had learned that the keeper equals mouse and so yeah. i'm going to come out uh and it, and it was done objectively with a large robust sample size you know that is why I think they're a great pet snake. Uh, awesome. That yeah. does not mean, though, that they love you and they want their no. snoot boot because no, they don't. Come on. <laughs> so, you know that there, there's more. There's there's some stuff going on there. That's, uh, but anyway, they're just wonderful animals, and I love I, that you guys do this podcast. By the way, this, this is great because I do the that. other Colubrid podcast, Man. and I was like, what the hell. Where are the colubrids at? <laughs> now, within a year, we got two solid podcasts for them. So I, that's yeah, one. We appreciate the work that you do. Uh, mm-hmm. You and Matt I have put together Ensemble Day, a, a, a great list of guests and a great list of topics. Uh, you guys also do a great job with just you and Matt. Uh, and mm-hmm. I think anybody that's listening to this podcast, obviously, the Herpeticulture Network, you know, probably, I'm going to say this objectively, you know, the best uh-huh. reptile podcast network that's out there. Uh, I just know that from being one of the smarter people on the planet uh mm-hmm. just because I, i'm a brainiac right i'm a brainiac uh engineer i'm an engineer engineered. man uh but no it, it's so wonderful that we're doing this zach justin you guys are both older like me uh, i think me and zach are closer to age than, than me and justin uh we didn't have this uh we had no, we didn't have radio this. we had there, there was a there was actually a really good gecko podcast that was out in the late early 2000s uh th- this this is like i've said it before i said it, this exact same podcast this is all free right like this is all free knowledge that people can absorb uh that's mm-hmm. what we do as humans we absorb knowledge through different facets whether it's forums whether it's uh uh podcasts whether it's youtube videos you know a lot of a lot of the younger generation has found youtube videos to be their their go-to for absorbing things that's why we all post all of these uh podcasts on youtube also right like maybe you'll you'll google corn snake and you'll find this podcast maybe you'll you'll google uh gosh look at that beautiful episode you did with the gentleman that with the uh russian rat snakes mm-hmm. uh, don't remember his name uh kurt. but kurt, kurt Schultz, yeah mm-hmm. uh, kurt yeah i mean what an episode what an amazing story what, a, what an amazing mm-hmm. guy that, that's doing different than everybody else right uh and, yes. and, and you'll he has this. He has the snake version of the eel pit. Yeah, it's badass. Yes, His literally. Closet with the with the Russian it, rat snakes. Like, how like, cool is that? It's the best. It's the coolest I have thing this ever. Part of my house, I'm just going to turn into an open yeah. enclosure for snakes. Like that's just I, awesome. I closed it off, and that's where I keep them, and it just changes temperatures, and it's good. It's like, and it's like sometimes <laughs> it's 90 degrees, sometimes it's mm-hmm. 40 degrees, and they just do what? It's like, wait, what? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But, you know, as, as, I, as I said, we're doing this podcast on corn snakes. It's much more than corn snakes. It's much more than just, just talking about the, the Gutatis complex. But it's a love. It's a, it's, it's, yep. it's a sharing of knowledge. It's a sharing of love. And thank you so much for coming on, man. This yeah, is, uh, no worries. Uh, you know, another great love episode. coming on. All, all of our episodes have been so good. We've had such great guests. We've had 
beginner keepers. We've had experienced keepers. We've had, you know, Sarah Moore, Joe Phelan. We've had these people that have uh, data logged information for us for the last 10 years. Uh, and, and it's just special to have somebody like you on. We, we appreciate it. Oh. Well, thank you for having me. I'll come on anytime Absolutely. you want me to. Yeah, man. This is fun. I enjoyed this. It's nice to be on this side instead of yeah. it is, isn't it? keeping the every now and then <laughs> going down the path. Yeah. It's nice to mm -hmm. be the passenger on the train, not the conductor. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And I am the conductor almost all the time in my life. So it's, <laughs> I, I appreciate being the passenger anytime I can be a passenger. So thank so, you. All. So Zach, uh, <laughs> let's say there's a listener that wants to find you or find out a little mm -hmm. bit more about your school program. How are they going to do that? Yeah. Uh, best way is not to write me an email. Uh, believe it or not, I get lost because I get 200 of those a day. Um, just simply find me on Instagram. It's Dr. Crawdad because you know, I do all this snake stuff in this public space, but I'm just as nerdy, if not more, with crayfish. So that's why it's Dr. Crawdad. Uh, and then on Facebook, it's Zach Lopeman. And simply message IMDM. It's really funny. I've, I've had some people message me and it's, I read these email the messages from the people that are reaching out to me. And I'm like, I think that they spent about three hours writing that message because there's like bigger words than you normally would and all that kind of stuff. And I usually respond with like, yeah, that's effing great. You know what I mean? <laughs> we're, so, we're talking to a doctor. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like you don't have to do that with me. Just chill. Uh, um, because I, 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 I try to He's be a normal human being. Yes, I am. What a concept. I, I had to get the to PhD because I was told to. So there you go. I, I was able to communicate with you on my very low level of communication skills. So Chris can yeah. do it. Anybody can. If I can do go. it, anybody <laughs> no. can do it. I, I probably will appreciate that much more because in, when I, my day job, I have to work in that academic sphere all the time. Yeah. And it is so freaking exhausting. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I have like, to work as a clinical project manager for engineering. Mm -hmm. And I don't yeah. want to talk to anybody like that when, 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 uh -huh. like, when the exactly. business shuts down, no, I don't wanna... that's not fun. I don't want to do that. I'm I'm a department chair, which means I'm not only in charge of all the students, but I'm also in charge of all. Well, not in charge, but I am the, the the person that oversees the faculty members, which means I'm in charge. Like I have to talk to the professors about what's going on with their world, and yeah. it's just people management all the time. So I don't I don't need the like super professional. Yeah. I want it. Don't worry about it. Just let's talk Please about don't. snakes yeah. and nerd out. That's what I want to do. So there you go. It's all, all of us, Wonderful. all of mm -hmm. us, anyone, any of us, all any of us want to do. Just exactly. be human. Just be we human. all want to be human. We all share, share the same genetics. Justin, uh, if anybody's trying to look for you, how do they find you? Uh, first, you're going to go to blackboxcages.com. <laughs> Man, blackboxcages.com. They make some badass stuff. <laughs> you want to email, email me, you can email bigeagle at blackboxcages.com. Mm -hmm. That is my email for Black Box. Big Otherwise, Eagle. Big Eagle. B, B, B I G E A. Big, oh, fuck, I don't know how to spell Eagle. Fuck, big, I'm dumb. <laughs> eagle, like Eagle, <laughs> large Eagle, Big Eagle. How do you spell Eagle, Justin? E A G L E. Nice. Okay, cool. Or you can find me at Palmetto Coast Exotics or on the Herpeticulture Network where you can find it anywhere podcasts are found. There we go. Yep. Yeah. Chris, where can they find you? Uh, if you want to reach out to me, the best way to do it is through Badlands or Pediculture on Instagram. And please bug me. I literally do nothing but yell at people all day long. So if you want to message me and talk about reptiles, I'm so excited. 
Uh, anybody that has actually messaged me will confirm this. I will stop everything I'm doing because all I do is yell at 130 people on a daily basis. Uh, and I'll just be like, hey, I, gotta, I, gotta, I gotta go sit in my office and text somebody. So yeah, please. Badlands. Go play with my Colionics. Oh, Colionics. Oh, yeah. Yo, you Blaferids. Let me know mm-hmm. when you're ready for the next podcast. We'll start a new one. Ublaferis, oh. let's go! All of the Ublaferis podcast. Ooh, no, with the I'll be a Ublaferi. I'm ready. <laughs> I'm go. gonna make a shirt. I'm gonna make that a shirt. Ublaferis. <laughs> oh goodness! There you go. All right, go beans, all right. gentlemen. Thank you. Thanks all. Blackboxcages.com, SilentHillReptiles.com. Check them all out. We'll be back Monday for Snakes and Stogies, episode 138, Monday, 9 p.m. EST. Wonderful. No idea what we're doing yet, but do I ever? So, say yeah. 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 The last episode of Snakes and Stogies, go and listen to it. Wonderful. Wonderful episode. I did listen to it. In fact, yeah. absolutely. Hell yeah. Seen. Yeah, I was actually watching it on my TV while it was happening. So there you go. Hell of an episode. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember. <laughs> Jesus Christ! It was it was with Phil. It was about a specific toxins or something. Venice. Oh yeah, 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 with with Nathaniel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was yeah. a great episode. Attract aspis extravaganza. There you go. Oh good lord, that's <laughs> how I'm doing too many of these if I can't remember what I just did Monday night. So, oh, thank you. All right, you're welcome. Later, all. all right.